previously on AFTN. But, but going back to like the hate, Samuel Petit was on a midweek conference call. I, I couldn't be on it. Sorry, not Petit. Samuel Petit. Yeah, I was going to say. He's a small <laughs> man. <laughs> Hey, 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 everybody, and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. If you're listening to this show on the podcast, this is episode 362. I am Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. Yes, Zach is back. Not in person, he's on the phone. He's just had so much excitement watching the feast of football that's been on this weekend that he just could not make it along to the studio. I also think these early shows are kind of killing you a little bit from living out in the interior now. It's a long, multi-hour journey for you. No, I just work. Oh, I, I don't know what that's like, so okay. Funnily enough, there's a song coming up about not working, but that's going to come up in part three. But yes... This has been an absolutely wonderful week. This has been a feast of football. Starting on Tuesday night, historic victory for Canada over the US. Carrying into the end of the CPL season, the MLS playoffs. Whitecaps announcing who's staying, who's going, who we're still not sure about. We're going to be covering all of that tonight. We are going to possibly be joined by a special guest on the phone in part three. We're just kind of sorting that out. Just just efforting it, yeah. But we have to kick things off in part one, talking about Canada. Well, we only went and gone and done it, Zach. We beat the US for the first time since 1985. It was bloody brilliant, wasn't it? It was absolutely fantastic. I I loved it. I couldn't watch the first half hour because I was at work and I couldn't. We're not allowed to stream certain things at work, so I had to wait till I got home. As soon as I got home, put it on, so it was still nil-nil, I was like, yes. Yeah. And then after that, it was just a joy. I'd been kind of following online folks' tweets, and it was an absolutely dominant performance. From the hour that I saw it was dominant, I know the first half hour before that, watching it back, was equally dominant. Final score was only 2-0. I say only 2-0, but I mean, it, it really, really could and should have been a lot more than that. So before we delve into too much about it, let's... Let's just get some of your, your your initial thoughts. We'll start with Zach. Just thoughts on the overall performance. 
yeah, I mean, I too was actually working, so I was following on social media. But uh, from all that I was following and all that I've seen of it, it yeah, it was it was a like a it was like a masterclass. I mean, like it, John Herdman set out a plan and they followed it. I think to a T uh, the way they the way they pressed uh, their commitment uh, to to the plan and the way they took their chances. I'm well. Maybe, maybe, maybe taking the chance, their chances is the one thing that they weren't like, you know, maybe an A on for the evening. Um, but yeah, it was it was incredible to see a Canadian team uh, dominate an American team like that in association football. Something uh, I've never seen in my lifetime. And yeah, thirty four years was too long to wait. But it was it was it made it in some ways all the more glorious. Yeah, um, for me, uh, because of the way they were playing and everything, it actually normally I'm in a full pe- fetal position when I'm watching Can- Canada <laughs> national team. This was like half fetal. So and uh, and the second goal when the Cavallini, uh, Cavallini scored that one, I was able to relax at that point and enjoy the last two minutes. Yeah, but it would have been nice for you, I think, if if that had come a little bit sooner. It would have been. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was one of those things. I mean, I, I'm newish still to watching Canadian soccer. I've only been here since 2007. I know so many of you guys and so many of the Voyagers have been through hell watching this Canadian national team over the years. And it, it rubs off on you from reading Twitter, from talking to the guys. So I'm sitting watching the game thinking, we're wasting all these opportunities, especially in the first half. You, you just thought, you know what's going to happen. Doesn't matter. Fonzie's taking the lead. America's not in it. Something's going to happen. There's going to be a big cluster at the back and they're going to get a late equaliser. And then after that, who knows, maybe the panic will will come in and they'll get a late winner. I was half expecting something like that to happen, at least them getting a draw. It was just magical that that it never happened. And we don't want to get too carried away. It's one game. That's, That's a key thing. But let's just enjoy this moment. There's been so much heartbreak with this national team. You just want to enjoy these moments. Yeah, the thing is, they have to I, exactly enjoy the moment, but they have to build off this too. They just can't. They can't let it get to their heads. And it, luckily for us, the U.S. media has not uh, kind of inspired them even more uh, in the yes. last little bit. So it's good that that's happening. Um, so it's just a matter of understanding. This is a one win. Enjoy it, but move on to the next and keep building to the next one. Yeah, I think the the players and the coaches need to take it in stride or whatever, Michael. But I would disagree. The rest of Canada... Oh, we like, can enjoy oh, it for no, sure. Oh, yeah, 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 we can yeah, lap it off. Yeah. yeah. The, re- the rest of Canada needs to, like, enjoy this, uh, you know, for the especially this next month leading up to the next game when we get to do it all again. Yeah. I, do you know, I, as soon as the final whistle went, I, I turned to Caitlin, I was like, I'm thinking of going to, to Orlando for the next game next month. And she's like, What? I was like, do you know, fancy going just before my birthday? We can go go to Disney and stuff. So we've priced it out, and we still might. I'm still, I'm kind of toying with the idea. It's crazy, but I've wanted to see that stadium. So yeah, why not? But th- you should re- you should return to your Mickey Mouse roots. Yes, that's ha- my happiest Whitecaps memory. It was in Florida, so let's relive that. I mean, there was a lot of wasted opportunities, but Fonzie. It wasn't the prettiest of goals. I mean, let's be honest. I think I could possibly have scrambled that one in from that distance, but who cares? It, you have to still take those chances. But it was the ru- initial run that yeah, got him into that the spot, The build-up right? was fantastic. Yeah. And Arfield then, started that off. Yeah, that good old Scottish, Scotty Arfield. Well, well, I think if you want to be technical, Michael Bradley started it off. Oh, yeah, oh, yes. whatever you want to say. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's, he was confused playing on home turf. He didn't really know what team was what. It was a he team in red. Team, yeah, yeah. 
And then Cavallini sealed the victory. It was a very composed finish. We have seen in World Cup qualifiers, even in recent years at BC Place, Canadian players in on goal and then the composure just goes. And that shows you the class that Cavallini's got, kept his head, and then you, you just saw what it meant to everyone. The bench emptied, John Herdman was ecstatic, the players were ecstatic, the fans went wild. It was hard not to have a big grin on your face. No. The, the, the first goal was, it was a nice build-up. Like, it was, after they won the won the ball from Bradley, it was it was nice passing or whatever. The the second goal, it was, it was uh, Osario, right, who put it over the top? Yeah. The yeah. second one you're talking was, about? Yeah, the second one. Yeah, was, it was Osario, yeah. Our field's pass in the first one was great, and, yeah. and I, lo- I loved Osario's pass in the second one. I, as a, you know, the, the, when I when I play football, I love a ball over the top of that that you can smash like that. Yeah. And it, it, it was, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, you can't beat balls over the top. It's, it's just, it, it makes your day when that happens. For me, the first big surprise of the evening was the lineup. When I when I saw it come out on Twitter, it was it confused a lot of folk. Everyone's like, "How do you fit this group of players into a team that is going to shut the back door as well?" It, I mean, folks talked about it was a diamond midfield. It was for me a kind of somewhat genius four-two-two-two almost, but it was a formation that it seemed to stifle the US, catch them a little bit out. It left them struggling to cope with what proved to be a constant barrage of Canadian attacks. And John Herman just got his tactics spot on for this one, Zach. Yeah, I mean, going back to Herman's announcement, I remember people were like, oh, what's this going to be like and how's this going to work? I remember talking to players at the time, and the, not a huge number of them, but the players I talked to at the time said they have no concern about John Herman. And I think he's proving his worth as a coach and as a tactician uh, at the helm of, uh, of, of the of the men's team, just in the same way he did tactically, I think with the women's team, and uh, yeah, I think he I think he got a, a lot of things right on the night. The the way that again, the way that they committed to the press and the way that they pressed the states and and didn't really give them any time on the ball was was awesome. Yeah, I mean, Canada just took the game to the US from the get go, and I mean, it, it surprised me. It had them on the back foot. But the the win in general, I mean, it's a massive win, no matter what the competition was. Even if this was a friendly, beating the US after all these years, it was going to be a massive win. The the Nations League points, yeah, that's great. But ultimately, I was talking to Steve about this on, on the way in just now, that kind of pales into insignificance in all of this because it was so much to do with getting FIFA ranking points, putting Canada into a position where they're going to get into the top six in the hex, have a good shot at World Cup qualifying. And yeah, there's a, a long way to go, and there's not been an official confirmation yet, Steve, but it well, looks like we're in that top six now with I that win. I did do some calculations. Uh, you know how this works out? A little bit, <laughs> because there's a FIFA... If it's the same way, this thing came out... This thing I clicked on was like from two or three years ago. If that calculation is correct, we probably picked up 17 to 18 points from this, yeah, just I've this heard, one victory. And we were just six behind, weren't we? Yeah, Five behind. Five. Yeah. Oh. And the thing is, yeah. is, 
it's El Salvador is playing teams that are lower ranked than them. Yeah. So they're not gaining that ma- as many points as what we would be gaining. So I think I think Zach, you said you, you said you heard seventeen to eighteen points as well, somewhere on there. Yeah, yeah. I've heard I've heard some people say eighteen, some people say seventeen. Uh, regardless, I've heard that this does put us in sixth for at least now. I mean, it's just keeping this going, and that, if, it, if they can the pick thing. a draw, that's another ten oh, or I, nine I, or ten. Yeah, so I, then they can draw an away draw yeah. against the US. It's going to get more points on the board because remember, if they do get the draw, that means they advance. That means they have a chance to possibly get more points in the in the semifinal, for example. Well, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. If they qualify from the Nations League, and they're not playing I, Mexico with the next round for sure. Yeah, I I I'd be brave enough to put my head in the line and say if we make it through this group into the Nations League finals, we will be in the hex. Yeah. Because no matter what, we, we're going to have these points. You should just give us the World Cup then at that point. Yeah, I mean, it, it, no one really wants to go to Qatar, so just let, let just give it to us now. But I, I, I think it's looking good. It could get tricky, of course, if teams then chasing points start to arrange weird friendlies and all this kind of stuff. But I think qualifying is going to be enough to put us in. And if that happens, it's a tremendous achievement for, for John Herdman and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about John Herdman in a sec but I I want to to play some of his post-game press conference and there's some white catch related stuff in there too about Fonzie and Derek Cornelius but he had a, a few really interesting things to say post-game so let's play that for you now and I wear it for my lady the Canadian flag baby I think firstly, a big thanks to, to all the fans who came out tonight. That was uh, just an electric atmosphere. And again, to the boys, uh, nothing but pride and, and coming in at half time. If that's, it was, we were on task, we were on plan. It was a calm dressing room. I think there, there's always been a, a belief in this group and it was just nice and calm. Um, we looked at some clips of where the US was starting to break us down, but there's been a belief right from the onset. You know, I think uh, they were clear what they were they were going out there to do tonight. And I think Alfonso, Alfonso is just one part of this amazing team. I mean, you, you've seen it tonight. Alfonso's got his bit. And you've got Milan with his bit. And, you know, all of the boys, that, uh, it's a pretty unique and special team. And I thought uh, every player, every player put something out there tonight. So... You know, great to see Fonzie scoring, though. I'm really pleased for him. John, you mentioned that, that Alfonso Davies was just one part of this win, but given the magnitude of this win and given his performance in the goal, is this the kind of performance that you think could propel him to take more ownership of the team and really become the face of this team moving forward? He just he doesn't need to yet. He just needs to be a kid and enjoy it. Like let him take all the pressure and <laughs> and Scotty Arfield and Atiba. Like well, just let Fonzie enjoy his football. We don't we don't need to put him up in lights. I don't mind putting him up in lights because I think the more we do, we challenge him. But at times he needs to be able to breathe and and just enjoy it. You know, last night I was talking to him about his childhood and he was telling us he just bought a BMX recently. He's always wanted one, and I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> you know, it brings it right back down to earth about what this kid's about. So, you know, with, with Fonzie, it's just get out there and play, son. Just just go and, go and, go and do your thing. Did and you do that Yeah, I did. 
I did. I mean, what we asked from Alfonso was, uh, you know, I showed him some of his clips with the Whitecaps. I had a good half hour with him last night, and we just went back to some of his original days where when he got kicked, he'd get straight back up. And when balls went in behind him, he'd recover and he'd, he'd fight to get it back. And I think a little bit that was missing, you know, just that, that wanting to, to, to play free and thinking he had to be in a structure or... But it's, uh, he was free tonight and it was, it was lovely to see. But I, I also think the competition in that squad now is he can't sit on his heels. You know, we had Cavallini and Hoylett on the bench um, and we got young Johnny David, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's really competitive and exciting. Yeah, John Monero from Campbell Dale today. John, um, yesterday you talked about you know the loss of Daniel would be kind of a bit of a blow, but I'm just wondering how you thought you know the team did without him, and especially what you saw from the partnership of Victoria and uh, Cornelius in the centre of defence. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, you look at that that lineup, and you've got um, you know Richie Larrieu with three caps, you know Cornelius who's you know been in and out of the MLS squad this year. Um, always played for, for us and Vittori who's on like a resurgence in his career it's uh, you, you couldn't have written the script and then young Kamal Miller fresh out of college last year you know with a handful of MLS caps I mean that's that's the sort of pride when you think about what we put together out there and how strong they stood to keep a clean sheet and with this man behind them who stood big in a big moment I mean, it's, you're buzzing as a coach when you, you see guys stepping to that next level of human performance and then binding together as a group. So I thought that was just, you know, that was an area we've been questioning and we've been questioned on. And, you know, these, those guys stepped forward. And I, I think, you know, Kamal was still running around the dressing room. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's just exciting for them. And, and then you think Liam Fraser. I mean, only last camp, you know, I'm sitting on the stairs with him and the kid's upset that he's, you know, he can't see a, an opportunity coming for his country. And there you are, like five minutes into the game. Funny enough, on the stairs three weeks ago, I said, son, just keep being good and the universe will bring you something. Just keep being good. And it did. He got on that field tonight and, and he did bloody well. Um, Alexander, don't get Rizik uh, between the sticks. Obviously, John, you said he didn't really want to talk too much about the midfield tactically, but how is it for you as a coach? You have the ability to put out four quality central midfielders. One goes down early, you throw in a fifth, and he does just as well. How do you think that midfield battle shaped up and speak to the, the depth of the team and whatnot? Yeah, I, I thought the, the team would be... Uh, the game would be won and lost in that midfield area. I felt we needed to add one more player in there, and I th we did, and it, it worked out for periods. Um, but the the energy it was just the effort, the the work rate, the effort was was what mattered most. And again, uh, we said we would outwill them, and and I think that's what it came down to in many areas of the field, not just the midfield. I have to say the front two as well put a hell of a shift in. I mean, that's, that's nearly 85 minutes of high pressing constantly. Um, so, again, just great pride to see the guys working for that flag in their country. Uh, John, is there any update on Mark Anthony Kay? Uh, just too early to tell her then, you know, the lad's gutted. But then he's, he's in there at half-time and guiding some of the players. And, yeah, I just don't know yet, Neil. He'll, he'll be assessed. I mean, the kid's gutted, but...
He's a big part of what we've done this week. He's been one of the leaders that have stepped up over these last last four or five weeks and, and added something different to our team. Yeah, the gaffer there, John Herdman. Steve in the studio tonight wearing his Canada top. I yeah. I need to get a, a Canada football top. So if anyone from Umbro is listening and wants to send me a free Is it Umbro still doing it? I, I don't, don't think Umbro. This is an I'll, old I'll, kit. I'll, I'll take one of the old ones. If anyone Zach, wants to send Umbro me a free Canada else? soccer top, I, it would be great. We're going to be talking football tops later in the show and I've been purchasing some. It, Nike, it's made by Nike. Nike. Oh, Nike. okay. I, I lose track with all this. But yeah, John Herdman there, clearly cock-a-hoop, and quite rightly so. I think this this vindicates him a lot. He has been under a lot of, of criticism from certain quarters, some who never wanted him to get the job oh, gotcha. to begin with. Yeah, that's probably... And no matter, they've yeah, just been waiting for him to slip up. Yeah. And the Haiti game gave oh. all those snipers the yeah. ideal opportunity. He's bounced back from that in style. And like I said, it's just the one game. Don't want to get too carried away that all of a sudden we're world beaters because this also is not the greatest ever US team. Yeah. We'll be honest about that. Well, that's what everybody's saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, everyone maybe out with America yeah. is kind of saying that. Um, before we get to that, though, one thing that did disappoint me in this is how few people will actually have got to see it. And we, we talked about it last week. One soccer had the broadcasting rights. They did offer it to TSN and Sportsnet. But my understanding of that is it was offered to them quite late in the day. And neither of those two channels said that they wanted it. Yeah, you now, got you got to give them time because they got yeah, other they programming happening. Yeah, they stuff programmed. Yeah. TSN, of course, do have five channels, so they could have put it in. You also don't know what one soccer offered it to them for. Was it free? Was it a fee that they kind of balked at? And they were yeah. like, no. But for me, that was poor all round. The CSE really need to rethink this. And I was told at the weekend, one soccer had a lot of new signups, though, primarily for, the game. for this but match. But was it a one-time It'll thing? It'll probably be the one-month yeah. thing, maybe a two-month thing so they can catch the next one. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of general media sports people saying that the second game next month has to be on TV, and if not, that's not acceptable. Yeah, that would be great. But for me, this was the game yeah, that needed to be on. It was the home game. Obviously, it's resulted in the win. It was Canada's best chance of getting that win. And Zach, it's, it's just disappointing that apart from the hardcore, the people that you really want to kind of tap into and say to the general soccer public here in Canada, look, we have a national team to be proud of. They won't have got to see it, or they'll maybe just have got to see some highlights somewhere. And the thing is, just before Zach, the funny thing is, is that one soccer, while they got on Sportsnet for their highlights, for TSN, TSN showed ESPN's version of highlights. Oh, did So they, they didn't even show anybody celebrating the Canada win. It was well, more... Well, be better, be better commentary, because that the, was pissing me off during the game. Yeah, I, I understand that, but at least... fine with, but Wheeler, jeez. But the thing is, oh, the people that they saw, the ESPN, all they saw was everybody just... Bashing oh, the U.S. Yeah. The U.S. commentators bashing the U.S. instead of yeah. praising Canada. 
Michael, I thought you would have enjoyed Terry Dunfield's commentary. I know, I, I did. It's like Terry Dunfield was great, but Wheeler, I, I, there's just something about his voice that just gets my hackles up. I don't know what it is. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. I just don't like him as a commentator at all. Terry, Terry's commentary, like, it's like sure. Cheering up, yeah, he's just yes. cheering. He's just well. Yeah, see, that's fine. That's what a color guy. Is. Yeah, the, I don't mind the, that. At all the, the, there's guy. plenty of people do that. What's that guy that does the Barcelona games? Uh, Roy Hudson, I think it is. Yeah, or, yeah he does oh, that all the time. Oh, let's not talk about him, please. Okay, he's, fine. He's, sorry. Hor- he's horrible. Yeah, he's, okay. he he basically has just taken Sid Waddell's stick, who is yeah. a darts commentator and a Jordy as well, and basically he's got always jokes, always gags, and it's the same kind of style. But yeah, it's it's disappointing, Zach, that more folk won't have got to see. Such a historic win. I I agree with you. It's disappointing that more people did, didn't have easier access to it. Uh, yeah, without knowing, you know what it, you know what was offered or whatever. The the time thing to me. Here's the thing: if TSN or Sportsnet really wanted it, then they could have done. Like it wasn't like this game was scheduled last week. They knew Canada oh, yeah. was going to say it. They they knew the they knew the players that Canada was going to call in and their quality and how they progress. But I mean, it's all going to come down to money. Yeah, but you can't put that all, again, you can't put that all in one soccer or CSB or the, or the CSA, right? Like, it, 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 to me, it takes two to tango. So in, the, in the, it not being on TV, it, you can't just blame one soccer in this or Media Pro or whatever. No, no, I'm not. It's, 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 okay. There's a lot, a lot of fault to go around. And the thing is, if yeah. you complained about it on Twitter about not being on TSN, um, they're... Um, their protector Blake Price would get on there and bash you right away on Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah, he came right right with a reply immediately. Like the Christian Jack had a tweet about something, ah. and then somebody said, "Oh, well, you should have put it on TSN." And then Blake Price came in right away and said, "What are you talking about?" It's uh, and that, that's basically what did, happened. Do you know? In my foolishness, as I was driving home from work, I tried to find it on the radio. I thought I was going to be getting <laughs> on the radio, but yeah, that wasn't happening. So the second game is in Florida, November fifteenth. Canada certainly have nothing to fear. And we talked in last week's show that this is not a US squad that strikes fear into anyone. And they must fancy their chances in the in the second leg, not only because of what they did in that first one, but all the motivation they need was the reaction of the US soccer media, the pundits, the fans, even some of the US players. Absolutely zero respect shown to Canada from most of it hardly any acknowledgement of how well Canada actually played. And like that's all John Herdman needs to do. He just needs to pin that up on the locker room wall, play this stuff to the players, and they'll feed in that. Canadian players like Mark anthony Kay as well, plying his trade in Canada, speaking up and tweeting out about it. He tweeted out this week, the amount of disrespect the Canadian national team is getting for doing what you're supposed to do, which is win, is crazy. Some of these pundits and their comments are terrible and undermine all the hard work that has been done by all the staff and players of Canada. And the thing is, there was one ESPN commentator that mentioned, uh, I think it was on, yeah, it was on ESPN, the ESPN FC show, and they said that the, um, the, essentially, some of these players aren't even signed to clubs, which is yeah. unbelievable. Oh, yeah, which yeah. is in the past. Yeah. Mark Anthony K as well, it, it looked a bad injury, Zach. I haven't seen an update about it, and obviously LAFC is going to be in action later this week, but oh, I was just absolutely gutted for him. Yeah, gutted for him, and LA's chances, I think, at least took somewhat of a, a knock in the MLS uh, Cup playoffs because of that. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, agree, I agree with him. I saw the tweet. I was really, you know, I was proud of him. I, I, I think, again, the, the, like you said, the coach and the players can, can focus on this. But I think, like, I don't, I, don't, I don't give a rip what any of the Americans say or don't say about Canada. No. We, 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 we dominated them. We, we outperformed them. We got the result. We, we kept a clean sheet. Our goals were quality. Like, I don't, I don't, if they all they want to talk about us, how poor they were, that's, that's on them. I really don't care. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I've heard some folks saying that the Canadian players and fans, they just need to get the chip off their shoulder and be thicker skinned. And But for me, it, it just shows how ridiculous the US soccer media and pundits are. Craig Burley did a fantastic rant on them on ESPN. And we, we voted them AFTN's Please Shut Up Award this year. I mean, didn't do that for nothing. And this was before the game as well. So, I mean, crazy, crazy stuff. It, it, it's the English disease. And that phrase used to be used to refer to football hooliganism. But I feel now it's more apt for media who have a complete lack of comprehension about the quality of the team that they're watching and the realistic expectations for it. The English media always bigged up England on the national stage, World Cup, Euros, and then they would fall flat and then they would just crucify them afterwards for for doing it. And you're seeing that with the US. It's like um, the Americans feel that they don't get respect worldwide. They felt Bob Bradley wasn't taken seriously when he was managing in England in the Premier League. They can't believe that Pulisic isn't starting every game for Chelsea, especially in the Champions League. Remember last year, Grant Wall said that, that it's the American media and American journalists who ask all the best questions. They're in denial as to how poorer and weaker this current squad is and past teams that, that they've had. And they seem to have learned nothing from their inability to qualify for the last World Cup. They, for me, the issues run deep. Uh, and it's happened in Canada over the years. Things need to change. Fingers will certainly be pointed at MLS and, and the need to develop domestic players has to, to be better in Canada, in the, in the US. And MLS will probably act on that and I mean who knows if these kind of results keep up for the US national team we may see new domestic rules and introduced in MLS similar to like the CPL that they they have to have a certain number of domestic players on on a roster or maybe even starting matches or or something like that do you think that could come Zach? Yeah I've heard you know some of this is talk about how MLS is basically I forget who said it first or put it out on Twitter or wrote about it, but basically MLS has helped the smaller countries of CONCACAF more than it's actually helped the United States. And in one sense, that's true because a lot of those smaller countries had a lot to improve, right? And so... The the, the top team's always going to fall. It's like Canada in the women's game. They were probably never going to then get into the upper echelon, so the only way for them was a little fall. Yeah, and 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 to be and to be fair, yeah, MLS. I think MLS's player development it, it does help the US, but it's a long it's a long term thing. It's yeah. not a it's not an over an overnight thing. No, Taylor Twelman said that the US was in crisis mode, and for me, long may that continue. It's my guilty pleasure. I get so much joy out of reading upset American soccer Twitter, in, in particular. And I asked some of our listeners what their guilty footballing pleasures were, and we got a good response to this. Wusang Lee said, as a Spurs fan, watching Arsenal fan (laughs) TV after an Arsenal defeat, 
Godoyalist, I knew I was going to mess that up, Godoyalist said, the satisfaction derived from beating America, anything is part of our national identity. We love it. Sebastian Lassard at Footy Seb, he said, being a United supporter, I do enjoy watching Leicester City. I love watching crazy man Klopp blame anything and everything when his club can't do the job. TFC losing, of course, but that goes without saying. And I was asking people if there's a team or a player that, because of their own loyalties, they shouldn't enjoy watching or whatever or get pleasure from and or who they like to see particularly get humiliated. And Sean Powell said, without a doubt, one of the biggest weasels in MLS is Caleb Porter. Seeing the look on his face when Freddie effing Montero scored in the last play of the game to give us the tie on September 21st was priceless. For him, that was the highlight of 2019, his guilty pleasure. And a few others, just to round the section off. Just scrolling through here. Scott Strasser, AFT writer from Calgary, says, I love what the Bundesliga stands for. The 50 plus one rule, reasonably priced tickets, full stadiums, raucous fan atmosphere. But you can't deny Red Bull Leipzig play some great football, even though you're not meant to like, obviously, Red Bull or anything about it. They give a lot of young minutes to, to talent and he likes to watch them play. And that, so many folk are like, oh, can't like that because of Red Bull. But they, they are... They are doing some good things, Zach. Would even you admit that? No. <laughs> Just because, because, because of what it's built. Like, what, I was having this conversation with Manu recently. Uh, because of what it's built upon and because of the way like, their, their approach, like, I, can't, I can't support the, the end results even though some might deem them to be positive. And the last one here. Spice Boy 1's guilty pleasure, Camilo. Whoever he continues to play for and scores goal for, whether it's Kerataro, Tijuana, he just enjoys watching him. And C.D. Pryor says he loves seeing lower budget clubs beat big spending ones in any league. That's not a guilty pleasure. That's just pure pleasure. But that is it for this part of the show. Well done to Canada. We're going to be back talking about the Whitecaps and there's been some Whitecaps news to talk about this week after this. This is Atiba Hutchinson, and you're listening to the AFTN Show. Thirteen tombs there are artists of the month for October, Fife's finest, born in the basement. And if you've been enjoying their stuff, check out more on Reverb Nation. Now, 
I was going to move on to Whitecaps chat, but just one last thing that we forgot to mention uh, about Canada was the attendance on Tuesday night. It was not great. But it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Who who was there had a good atmosphere. But the amount of empty seats for a big game like that, and I don't want to get into the regional pissing match, but it was very disappointing, Zach. Yeah, I mean, it it needs to be better. But yeah, I too, uh, like... Like we said before, like you just said, Michael, this whole like, you know, uh, saying that if it was here or there it would have been better. Or it, like, it doesn't matter. I just agree with Milan Borian that it, they're ju- they just need more support. He said the support here was great tonight, but there needs to be we need more supporters. Yeah, and that and that and that's what needs to happen. I mean, from all reports and obviously all the things we've seen and you know people's videos on social media and stuff, this, the the voyageurs and those who gave their all in the stadium. Like it was, it was awesome. Yeah, like was, those, those was, that turned out, it's like a massive hat tip to them because they, they were exceptional, and it was a a really really good performance for those. But yeah, you just need more. It looks embarrassing when you see the upper tier nobody in it. It's for a, a big game like that. It, when the US viewers are watching that, they're going to be like, "Oh, see, they're not even taken seriously up there." This is the team that beat us. They can't even sell all their tickets into the stadium. And I mean, it's happening around the world. Scotland just got over twenty thousand for their last game. That was against San Marino, though, in an absolute <laughs> monsoon. But even so, it's like attendances for national teams in a lot of places are starting to dip. But let's hope wherever the next games are. And you have to feel Vancouver's going to get another one soon, yeah, especially was it, if it's going to be a game wasn't in it March. That great, it wasn't that great in Washington, D.C. too, right? Was it? Or well, against Cuba? I didn't see what that was. Oh, I don't remember, but, but it wasn't that great either. No. But yeah, let, let's just hope that more folk get out. Let's just hope more folk get out for the coming season to, to watch the Whitecaps. We started this segment off by playing Born in the Basement, and the Whitecaps rebuild is on, and they are building from the basement, because that's where they finished this MLS season. And it's underway. There's been some Whitecaps news to talk about in the last couple of days. The team revealed whose options were picked up, who looks to be coming back, who definitely won't be, whose futures are still up in the air. And there weren't exactly a lot of surprises, but there there were some. And we'll, we'll talk about this now. So the club exercised the 2020 contract options for right-back Jake Nowinski, as well as forwards Jordi Reyna, Tosant Ricketts. They now have a total of 18 players under contract for the 2020 season. Delighted to see Ricketts picked up. And of course, bringing Reyna and Nerwinski back doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be here come first kick, but it's promising at least that that Reyna is maybe hanging around. But just get your thoughts quickly, Zach, on Ricketts being back in particular and a little bit about Reyna. Yeah, I'm not surprised by any of those three options being taken. Uh, Ricketts, he's Canadian, and uh, and I like him. I I don't think he, like in Toronto, and and like his time even here, I don't think he's a, you know, uh, every game starter. He's more of a come off the the bench and use his pace kind of guy. And if he's okay with that, and then I think it's good. Uh, In terms of Nowitzki and and Yordi, I, I agree with you. I think that. Uh, I think that uh, both of them, uh, we could see them here next year. We could see them not here next year. Yeah. It's just a ma- those two are just matter asset 
uh, keep your assets in close. Yeah. You're not yeah. going to let release yeah. them at all. But, I mean, it, it was definitely great to see Cito San. I think he earned it. And he is a guy coming off the bench. I'm excited to see what he can do. And the, He the should be somebody, though, that comes get. off the bench, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He definitely he, should. get the odd start from yes. West, probably, yes. and some weird fixture things. But, yeah. Players who were already under contract for 2020. And one of these did, did surprise me. Maxime Cripple, Thomas Hassel. I didn't know McMath had a contract for next year already. So he had signed a two-year deal. Well, well, that's because he didn't tell you every time you interviewed him. Yeah. That's true. Only certain folk did that. Uh, centre-backs, uh, Derek Cornelius and Jasser Kimiri. Full-backs, Ali Adnan. And if you want to class George Mukumbilwa as a full-back, I still would like to see him in the midfield. Well, some people would say if you want to class Ali Adnan as a full-back. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, two very similar players. That, are they are they full-backs? Are they midfielders? Midfielders, three, five, Michael two. Baldissimo. So what are you going to say, Zach? 3-5-2. Certainly pointing to that direction. Midfielders, Michael Baldissimo, Simon Coline, Johnny Risi, who we knew had a two-year deal, still not 100% sure he will be here come first kick, Inbon Wang, Andy Rose and Russell Tybert, as well as forwards Theo Bear, and this will, this will surprise It'll you, shock you Freddie Montero had a two-year contract. <laughs> so one of the surprising things, though, is they're still in discussions with four players. PC? Look, that one surprises me. That one's shocking. Yeah. Daniel Henry, Eric Godoy, and Michael Chirinos are the other ones. But the latter two, Godoy and Chirinos, they are loan deals. So MDS is wanting both back, but the negotiations aren't completed yet. I think both will go well, barring some weird transfer demands or salary demand so they should be back if if Godoy comes back I see Henry not coming back that's when, when I did my yes. in out on the bubble I said those two are tied together well essentially Daniel Henry is the interesting one and the indications I've been getting this week it's looking unlikely that he is going to be back he was at the Pacific FC game yesterday with Jake Norwinski so that, for me that's the big scoop he's actually going to the CPL to play for Pacific FC yeah, no, I don't you surprised by that Zach yeah, that, that's not happening. But I'm not. I'm, I too. I'm not. I'm not totally surprised that uh, uh, that he might not want to be here. Right? I mean, you think back to you know the greatest moment of preseason this year when uh, he responded to JJ Adams' uh, uh, question about Have you ever seen a, a squad turned over oh, yes. this much? And, and he said, He said, Dude, I played for TFC. I think I think he might be a little bit tired of of going through. Uh, what he's gone through in his time in his time here. Well, you would think uh, he would want a bit of stability then, and, and to stay at the Caps. And I know there's no, going to be a turnaround in the roster, but it's yeah. not massive. But and the he'd thing have stability is, here. but the thing is, I think that he can also. I think he's honestly. I know people. Some people don't rate him in, in, in like in the Whitecaps media and Whitecaps fans, but he he is a pretty decent centre back for MLS, and in the right team, he could be really good. Maybe this team because he didn't have yeah. the midfield to protect him. Maybe he's still not. a little prone to every. Have, I know every player. Every center back is prone in MLS to making a big mistake. Yeah. Look at the best center backs; they they make big mistakes all the time. Well, not all the time, yeah. but just they are prone but, for it. Michael, do you really think he wanted would want to stay here when he's seen kind of you know who they are and how they function? Mm. What he would what he would hear would make you want to stay and be like, yeah, this is going to be stable. The right. promise he went, of, he went, of what might be, I guess, but right. But so he went through one year of MDS, and how did it go? I think that was the promise of stability. 
I, how did that go? I mean, I, I'll be honest. I'm not too sad if he does move on because although some of the best performers this year were in the defence, overall, and I know we've talked about it before, it wasn't just up to them, but overall the defence was a bit of a shambles at times, a lot of times. So there has to be changes there, and it makes sense that Henry's one of the ones to, to go. I disagree with I that, though, because I, oh, I, I've said it before. I think it's the midfield that was the issue, not the, not the Totally defense. not just the midfield. Though. I, I think the midfield had a major factor, because when you don't have the protection of the midfield, like if you're constantly giving up the ball and they're constantly giving away the ball and you're just on your back feet all the time, you're gonna, you're gonna, the goals are going to go in. Well, another I, I, agree, I, I agree with Steve. We have not had, since uh, Gershon Kofi and Matias Slava left, we have not had a real true destroying center midfield, and, and it has hindered the, hindered the back line. But the other I, thing is, I, I, I thing also is, don't I, think I don't, you don't need a destroying midfield. I think you need a midfield that can possess the ball so you don't have to be on your back foot all the time, too. That, 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 that's very true. The, the thing is, though, Michael, we, I know we talk about this mostly from a, a, a supporter fan perspective. But the players hear these things too. So when when your owner comes out and says, "Hey, we're going to move up into the top third of spending," and then you come dead last, you don't think the players know about that? You don't think the players talk about that? You don't think that weighs on them as well and shows them the, the true ambitions of the club? Yeah, but well, if you're talking about ambitions of the club, and this is the thing, from what I've been led to believe as well, the, the club are looking to bring in three new DPs, buying down salaries of Ali Adnan and Bom Wong and Freddie Montero in the process to free up DP spots and salary. Now, the first two of those are, are DPs, along with RDS, who's now out. So you're looking to bring in three DPs. And what I've been told is the ideal positions they're looking to bring these DPs in at are forward, as expected, midfielder, but also at centre-back. That's surprising. And if that latter works out, then Daniel will definitely be gone. And, and Godoy's not coming back then either. I don't well, no, think. Godoy, because you still need your five, and okay. you're looking to probably play maybe three of them. I think they need to have an experienced centre back yeah. back there to marshal the team, probably be the team captain as well. The the kind of a, a guy that's like Jay Demerit, who I've never been like totally high on, but he was an experienced guy who'd played over in Europe. That's the kind of top-level experience that they need to have back in there. A bit like of a veteran who's still can... got some something left in his legs. I, I really hope it's better than that Jay Demerit uh, comparison you had there because that doesn't inspire me very much. Well, I'm kind of just using that <laughs> as an, an experienced veteran guy. That he's played at a World Cup, so I mean, you can knock him for other stuff, but it's like he, he was an experienced guy. So th- that's who they're wanting to, to bring in. And uh, they need some experience back there, Zach. They need experience in that back line. Yeah, they they do. Uh, I mean, you talk about the three DPs. I mean, they have no play left but to actually bring in three proper DPs. And it's like the kind of thing that people will only believe that if they actually see it. Well, also as well, there's wanting to bring these guys in and knowing who your targets are and yeah. then being able to deliver it for a number of reasons, not just whether the club are willing to, to spend, but whether the players end up wanting to come or whether another club comes in with a much better offer for the player. But, but we'll see how that pans out. PC, as we talked about, was a very interesting one. And I'm sure most just took it that he was going to move on. And we're going to come to the releases next, but one of the releases is Brett Levi's. So that does just leave Ali Adnan at the club at left-back. So you do you do need a left-back in there, but I would hope that that left-back is going to be someone that's better than than, than PC. 
yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm hoping that this is a situation where PC was like, don't just release me, release me later on, so at least it looks like I'm doing good or something like that. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> it just, it, I, I don't understand the PC like why he's still even cons- being considered as one of the spots. Yeah, unless well, the- it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, and not just to like, to, like fans. You talk to technical people who've been watching the, the, the side play and. I've, multiple people have said to me they don't understand why he was brought in when he was so bad in Orlando. Yeah, he didn't even, come with good reviews. Even worse here. Yeah. Well, we're getting to the sad bit now. It, let's cue up the human leagues. Don't you want me, baby? Because there's some players that the Whitecaps definitely don't want. Brett Levi's is one of them. He's not being offered a new contract, so... You can expect CPL's teams to be clamouring to pick him up. It's just a shame Saskatchewan's team's not going to be ready for next year. Oh, he just signs a one-year contract. With yeah, somebody. but That's that would have been just a spectacular move for him to, to go back home. But the club also confirmed that it's not going to exercise the options on goalkeeper Sean Melvin, who was also in Victoria yesterday for the Pacific game. So get those rumours starting. Defenders Brendan McDonough and Scott Sutter. On loan winger Las Bangura will return to Spanish club, club Rayo Vallecano. Forward Joaquin Ardiez will return to Swiss side FC Chiazzo. Unable to solve the mystery of why he couldn't score a goal. Well, talking about solving mysteries, huh. I mean, the mystery of Anthony Blondell. Last week, we talked about he might be going to Turkey. But now, CD... Huachipato, the Chilean club, that's the name I've just probably murdered there, exercised their option to acquire him. And I was delighted with that because we did talk about the danger of him possibly going on loan in Turkey and it not working out and then being stuck with him. Personally, I'm just glad to see the back of all three of those guys. None of them should have been back. No, Blondell, like the, sorry, so, uh, uh, I'm assuming the the transfer fee is probably in the 1.4 or something I, range. I don't know. but It's a similar range than the Turkey one. It's a crazy one. transfer fee for him, if you ask me. But, yeah. but I don't understand that. But then maybe they're expecting that maybe somebody will come up next year and pay well, even more than that. It could be that they might sell him to Turkey, of course. They might yeah. buy him and then sell him to Turkey, yeah. flip him for a That's profit. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking, Michael. And of course, the other thing I was thinking is when do we when do we do the Untold Stories episode? <laughs> maybe we'll do it'll that be for the Christmas. last. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll be the last ever episode. Yeah, that'll be our last show that we do. <laughs> yeah, a lot lot of stories we could share, but we'll come to that. The one player that I am truly sorry to see go. I guess he could come back. You never know; things can get renegotiated. Oh, that's yeah, possibly Scott Sutter. I'm sad to see him go. Not just from the playing side, because I think he was a, a good backup to have there and, and reliable, but what he brought to the locker room in terms of leadership, what he brought to the community, he gave free tickets to the children's hospital to games and stuff. He was just so good for this club. If it means we get an upgrade at right back, then yeah, I'm all for that. But I am sad to see him go on a personal level. He was someone that I probably enjoyed chatting with most this season. I know we've got a joke that my favourite interview ever and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but Scott was always so good to talk to. Uh, we actually recently did a fun 10-minute chat with him that is for our Christmas show. Possibly bad timing. I didn't think he was going to be going. So we'll, we'll bring you that at Christmas. Uh, we've had a lot of fun chats with him over the season. And I'm going to bring you one of them just now. We're going to delve into his TV habits. Our favourite section, or one of our favourite sections, TVOD is back. Here's Scott Sutter. 
TVOD, TVOD, TVOD. TV programmes. So, yeah. Scott, what, what are your kind of favourite TV programmes just now that, that you're sitting down to watch? Um, at the moment, what have I just watched? Oh, I scale through Netflix, man. I've, I watch about five different shows at the, when they're on, you know, kind of, uh, obviously Game of Thrones was one. Um, going on the lighter side, Modern Family, love, love Modern Family. And every now and then I might go throw it back to Friends or something, <laughs> watch an episode of Friends if I'm, if I'm fe- feeling gloomy. I'll put on some friends and have a bit of a laugh. So, no, I like all kinds of things, man. Like, I just literally, sometimes I just start something new, watch a couple of episodes and then change it, watch something else. So, yeah, I can't really say what, what my favourite is at the moment. Do you have an all-time favourite show, something that you'd go back and revisit time and time again? Um, all-time favourite? Wow, there's, quite, there's a couple of, couple of good ones there. Um, I, love, I loved Entourage. It was one of my, one of my favourite ones. Friends, obviously, I think Friends is is right up there. Um, yeah, probably those two are the most like rewatched ones I've I've watched. And any guilty pleasures? Something that you watch and you think I should really watch that? Um, not not really. My guilty pleasure is probably watching Premier League, and I'm, I'm in a you know fantasy Premier League with my with my buddies back in in England. Have done for many years. So Who, who's your team then? Uh, I grew up a Tottenham fan, oh. so I was a season ticket holder when I was like ten right. years old or that, something. That's so. the end of our conversation. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I went with my with my dad and my brother when I was like ten, um, and then I was lucky enough when I was like. I was like 24, 25 to play them in the Champions League and like go to White Hart Lane and with my family and kind of sit in our old season ticket seats and yeah, it was a special, special time. So yeah, Premier League's probably my, well, it's not really a guilty pleasure. I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you so much, Scott. TVOD. I don't need a TV screen. I just stick the aerial into my skin. Let the signal run through my veins. TVOD. Scott Sutter talking all things TV. Fare you well, Scott. Maybe we'll see you again. He may end up, of course, at Pacific FC. He has good friends with Josh Simpson. Played with him over in Switzerland, so never know. He's been at some Pacific FC games over the years. Maybe he could be the new head coach. We'll be coming to all that in part four. The Caps have two more weeks of training coming up here at UBC. I feel I'm never away from this place. I was here this afternoon commentating on the UBC's last regular season game. Home for three hours and back again. We'll be doing a few interviews though in the Caps spell, so watch out for those on the written side and here in the podcast. Got a couple of crackers coming up. MDS is also going to be jetting off shortly for a scouting trip. The next of many for him and his management team. Once he's back, we're also going to be sitting down with him for our latest annual State of the Whitecaps off-season chat. Um, That'll be coming up in one of next month's shows. So it's obviously going to be a busy off-season. MLS have confirmed the dates of what we're going to have coming up, and it's all coming up thick and fast once the MLS Cup winds up in the next few weeks and months. First of those is going to be very interesting. With MDS confirming that he's wanting to add more MLS experience, There'll be a two and a half day MLS trade window the day after the MLS Cup. So from November 11th, closing at 5pm Pacific time on November 13th. I expect the Whitecaps to be busy in that spell. And who knows if some of our signed players that we've just talked about may be on their way out. The expansion draft is on November 19th. 
we can get a player picked after FC Cincinnati picked up from us last year. But who knows, maybe Miami will pick someone to trade to us. A little thank you for giving them David Norman. Yeah. DC, like, like Zach McMath could be a guy they want as their as a keeper for them. So tr- pick somebody, somebody and then trades, trade with them. Yeah, oh, possibly. That'd be interesting. I never thought of that option. Yeah. yeah. DC, Dallas, Houston and Red Bulls are the other teams that can't have a player selected. Then we get the usual anti-climax at the end of the season. There's the end-of-year waivers, the free agency, and, and the re-entry draft. Final bit of cap news that we want to talk about is to wish all the very best to the six white caps who are heading off to Brazil to represent Canada at Under-17 World Cup. It's the first time Canada's made it to the final since 2013. They're in a group that sees them... With a great chance to advance. The, the top two go through automatically. And then there's a chance to go through as their best third place finish, finisher. First up, they play the hosts Brazil this coming Saturday. That's going to be an electric atmosphere. It's a 20,000 capacity stadium they're playing in. Then they've got New Zealand and Angola in the group as well. So best of luck to Captain Gianfranco Fascineri, Emiliano Brienza, Nathan Demian, Damiano Pisayo, Delian Valios and Cameron Habudala. Happy Bula. I know, I can't say his name for some reason. You've got all the other names. I know. All the matches are going to be shown across the the TSN networks. I say it again. Can the Whitecaps please sign a John Smith? It would be great. (laughs) And something else that's been shown across the TSN networks is the MLS playoffs. And we're going to be back talking about that after the break. So we're going to bid farewell to Zach for now. He may join us later back in the show if he's still awake. But thank you for joining us. I'm sure you want to wish all the young guys good luck in the under-17s as well. Don't have any turkey during the break and then you'll be awake. Yeah, all the best to the U-17s. It'll be great to watch them on TSN and uh, support them from afar. So thanks for joining us, Zach. If we don't speak to you in part four, we'll catch up with you next week. And we will be back talking about the MLS playoffs, possibly with a surprise guest if he is still awake after this. Hi, I'm Tim Parker, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Specials there, Two Tones Finest, with a song released on October 19th, 1979. Yes, we're back to the 1979 songs, but 
this is one of my favourite songs. It was a double A-side released with a message to you, Rudy. And, I mean, the specials, that was their, their first year releasing singles on their own two-tone record label. And it's the 40th anniversary, of course, of the, the Whitecaps winning stuff this year in the, the soccer ball. But it's also the 40th anniversary of the two-tone record label starting. And to celebrate that, the specials in the two-tone record label coming out of Coventry in England. And Coventry FC have released a special third strip to mark the occasion. It's a two-tone strip, black and white. It's got their famous little ska dancing man on the back. Yeah. It's got a say no to racism thing on it as well. It's got the two-tone checkered thing on the front. Cool. They released it and the initial batch, the demand was massive and they all Yeah, I saw out. your tweet on that, yeah. So then they did a, a pre-order. I put my name on the waiting list. They've come back. I've ordered it. Can't wait. And it should be arriving some point in November. And so. the funny thing is, is uh, Coventry is where uh, the temple I go to here, they have an, a temple in Coventry. Because I thought you had some kind of connection. I with had a couple, yeah. I, 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 spent, I spent, I think, way too much time than a person should in Coventry. Mm. Been to, anybody who'd been to Coventry in the 90s would know that. Lady Godiva, of course, was from Coventry. So yeah. did you ride on a, a no. naked horse? No, I did not. Uh, but the funny thing is, is whenever we had uh, some kind of function, it was always uh, um, essentially the the special speakers there would always ask the head priest to bless Coventry uh, City FC, uh, basically uh, during those functions at the at the temple. So it was interesting to see all the time. Yeah, so I mean, Coventry's been through the, their issues and a lot of focus saying, why would you want to support this ownership group? But... It was just, I could not resist getting yeah. the strip, so I mean, th- there was that. But this part, we are going to talk MLS, and we are pleased to say we are joined by friend of the show, all the way from Philadelphia, and I'm sure he's going to be a happy man after today's results. Welcome, Jonathan Tannenwald. Well, you know, I was just testing to see if the format still works. Yeah, it, it does, and we haven't had you on for a long time. It was Glad. last playoffs, I think. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's late. It's 1, 1 a.m. in Philly just now. So thank you for still being up and joining us. We're going to talk about the MLS playoffs in, in this part. Throwing out the script that we had, we're just going to just talk to you about some of these matches because they're underway Amazingly entertaining weekend. I, I, I'm loving the new playoff format. I was worried that the away teams may bunker. Certainly hasn't been the case. No, definitely not. No, absolute oh, crackers no. Th- this weekend. Well, well, we have to start by talking about Philly with, yeah. with Jonathan Owen. I mean, what a game that was this afternoon, Jonathan. You know, it's, it's trite to almost to say that I've never seen anything like it because the Union had never won a playoff game in their history until now. Yes. And that surprised me, too, when I heard that. You know, well, you guys have known me for long enough, I think, and you've known how much bad football I watch in this town. Look, you know, a few of us in in the press dining room were debating this before the game because all of us in the local contingent had picked the Red Bulls to win for a few reasons, one of which was the Union never won a playoff game, so you have to convince us that they're going to. And when it was one nothing, we said, okay, here they go again. And when it was 2 nothing, we said, okay, they're done. And then it got to be 2-1 and said, well, you know, maybe, maybe they'll tie it. And then it was 3-1 at halftime. And I already went over to the Red Bulls radio guys, and they said, I said, enjoy Atlanta. <laughs> um, and then came 
something that was pretty extraordinary. And it, it, it certainly helped that they scored early in the second half because then they had a lot of time, you know, to go and chase that equalizer. And they found it in the 78th. They almost won it in regulation. Luis Robles made a heck of a save. Oh, that was fantastic. Um, at the near post. And he made a couple of very good saves in this game. And then the sort of, I mean, to the list of things that Philadelphia Union fans had not seen until at least this year, if not ever. You had the team fighting back. They had already come back once this year from down two goals against the Red Bulls to win a game. That was 2 nothing to 3-2. to two. So this was this was two nothing to two one to three one to four to three, and and I think this might be the salient point to talk about with you guys, knowing the Whitecaps as well as I do. The game winning goal, the biggest goal in this team's history, the Philadelphia Union's history, was scored by the most expensive player the team has ever signed, Marco Fabio, and he has had a far from perfect year, far from ideal year. He was injured for a while. He has not been a great tactical fit, all things considered, which is why he has been a substitute, if that much more than he's been a starter in the last month or two. But when you sign a guy to be the big guy and he scores the winning goal in that game, in those circumstances, and I don't care that it took a deflection. That's exactly what I was about to mention, the deflection. I don't care. Because in the history books, it said Marco Fabian scores biggest goal in team history to date. True. And the thing about Fabian I liked about it was that his role at the near the end of the game when he got fouled, I think that was like four or five solid rolls into the bench. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. That was good well, rolling. It, it just, it's, and I, I think about this in the context of the Whitecaps because how many times have we talked about, you know, when you sign a big player who doesn't, who doesn't score 15 or 20 goals, whatever, you know, or whatever it may be. But you sign a big-time player for the big-time moments, and he delivered. And he can't take that away from him. Well, and by the way, Fabian is the union's second-leading scorer. I, I was wanting to take you back a little bit to the first half. I mean, that, that the, the comeback was stunning. But what was the mood in the press box like with that first-half performance from Andre Blake? Because he had a bit of a nightmare out there. He, he, he did. And he's really good. Yeah. And when he is, we don't talk about it. I know he was frustrated because I talked to him after the game, and that's the way I'm going to put up in the morning. He was frustrated, and the fans were obviously frustrated, and everybody in the press box was like, oh, they're this, the union or still the union. But to his great credit, he put it out of his mind, and he, he was just fine in the second half and on from then. And I don't know that most of us mortals would have played that way. Yeah, I mean, I was impressed that he came out because his head really could have gone down at that because once New York got that third goal, I mean, it, it looked game over. And to fight back like that, and th the thing for me as well, I haven't seen a lot of Philly play this year, but for most of the season, from watching from afar, it felt like they had a really good shot of actually winning the East. Then they had this dip that kind of saw them fall down and you wondered what it would do to the mentality of this team if they had been at the top for so long and then they didn't get through this first playoff game. And then that must have been going through Blake's mind as well a little bit. I, I, look, he's had some powers and they, they have not pitched a clean sheet, this team, in months. A part of that, I will say, is because the system that they played, you guys are German football fans, so you're going to recognize it. They play gag and pressing. 
They play the counter-pressing, you know, floor at style. And I'm increasingly convinced watching that, not only here, but in, or, you know, worldwide, that system is not designed to win games one nothing. That game, system is going to win the games 4-3. And if you pitch a shutout, it's a bonus. Yeah. And I think we're going to have to get used to that over here. I, it makes it exciting for the fans. And, and well, Oh, goodness. These these playoffs in general, it seems they've stumbled across the right format. I, I tweeted this out. If you were watching these games this weekend and you did not enjoy it thoroughly, then I don't know what is going to, to tick your box football-wise because this was the best weekend of MLS action I can remember ever watching. It's hard to beat in my memory, and I, you know, I can go back a long ways. I, 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 I heard you mention this a moment ago, and I was sort of with you. I was a skeptic of the single-game rounds initially because I was worried that the coaches were going to bunker and play for scoreless ties for as late as possible. Yeah. I think two things have happened. One, they flat-out haven't. And two, and the Euro snobs are going to say this, and I might agree with them for once, but for a different reason. If the defending isn't that great in the league, which is what they're going to say, and they might be right, I'm going to say, I don't care. Because the goals pay the bills, and guess what? Yeah, I mean, th- there's no one in a stadium or watching at home that can't have just got enjoyment out of this. Three of the games, I think it was three, I was losing track, three went to extra time. Yeah. And then the, the very first game, although it was the lowest scoring, Atlanta winning 1-0. Nearly got upset. Yeah. The, New, the, uh, New England was the team I thought would go and possibly bunker. Yeah, and they didn't bunker. No, the, they the, took it, the game to the By the scoreline, it looks like they bunkered or something like yeah. that. But they didn't if you no. watch the highlights. Because Guzan came up with a huge save. Oh, yeah. Off the, off and, I mean, the, Atlanta had Joseph Martinez fit, so you couldn't say, oh, they weren't at full strength. And they squeaked through 1-0. And it, it was a bit cagey in the in the early going. It was settled by a lovely finish at the near post from Franco Escobar. And now Atlanta is, is playing Philly in the Eastern Conference semifinals next week. Is it Wednesday or Get Thursday? Get a load of this. Thursday. Thursday. Uh, 8 p.m. my time, 5 p.m. yours. Get a load of this. Philadelphia is unbeaten against Atlanta this year. Oh. They, yeah. tied, they tied at Atlanta and they won at home. Interesting. And of course, Atlanta looks like they're probably going to be missing Michael Parkhurst, who uh, he's been in and out of the team a little bit. But he didn't look good coming off the No, is that going to be a big loss? No, he's out for a couple weeks. Oh, oh, so that's been confirmed, right? It's confirmed, I think, that he's out for a couple weeks. And now they got to get Miles Robinson back, and I'm not sure they're going to in time. So that's going to be very. I assume Jeff Lorenowitz will play center back, but I don't know. If I and if I was down there this week, I I did not read all the reporting that came out of there yesterday. Uh, yesterday, it's now Monday over here, so Saturday. I did not have the time to find out why Pity Martinez did not play. Yeah, that but was a weird Pitti one. Martinez did not play. I, it, look, I, I am not convinced that he and Frank DeBoer get along. I don't think that's much of a secret to anybody at this point, is it? But you're really going to leave him on the bench in the playoffs. Just as Portland left the and you're gonna well, we know why well, we don't know exactly why Diego Valeri was left on the bench. We have some ideas. But the parallels are a little much, aren't they? Yeah, I mean the commentators were saying, Oh, it's a great luxury to have to have him on the bench, but it, it was a strange, strange decision. If he doesn't fit De Boer's tactical vision, which I think is quite possible, 
The board obviously is never going to say that because you're not going to throw a $14 million guy out the window like that. But if Atlanta doesn't score early on Thursday, there's going to be some raised eyebrows in that state. Yeah. And nervous people. Yeah, I mean, um, they, they, they get yeah. on the team when they fall behind. No, oh. Jonathan, one question I have for you and uh, about this game, um, Atlanta game, because uh, I didn't get to watch the whole thing. I just had, I only got the chance to watch the highlights. Was this in Atlanta – uh, commentators, or was it a national one? Because they were not excited at all whenever New England did anything, and whenever Atlanta barely touched the ball, they were like off the moon. I, I was just wondering, is this was this like Atlanta commentators, or uh, I'm going to answer that uh, a couple answers to that. One, I didn't watch much the entire game either. I was out uh, at another uh, covering something non soccer. Okay. Huh. I I watched the whole well, game, but <laughs> but. I don't know which feed TSN took slash was given slash whatever. Down here, the game was on Univision. Okay. Oh, we we saw I saw oh, the highlights from yes. FS1 or uh, something. Yeah, like we we got we got the English guy. You got Fox Sports Southeast, I think. Yeah, right. You got the Atlanta feed. Okay. So what happened with the with with the Univision games? And I don't really like the way MLS does this. I can explain why if you want, but anyway, you so. Univision gets two exclusive playoff games, which I do like in the first round because they pay a lot of money and they deserve them. And as far as I'm concerned, people ought to be willing to watch in Spanish because it's a lot of fun. Univision does an English language SAP feed in addition to that that you can turn on if you want to. They also, in the team's local markets, let the local TV outlets televise the game. So the two Univision games on Saturday were Atlanta, New England, and Toronto, D.C., which didn't matter for you guys because TSN has. Yeah. yeah. So the global slash, I guess, what TSN took and came beyond was the Fox Sports Southeast Atlanta broadcast with Kevin Egan, who used to work for, I think he still does some work for being sports, and Dan Gargan, who used to play in the league. But that's why that happened. And it was Fox's graphics, wasn't it? Yeah. But what's your prediction? Yeah, what what's your prediction then for Atlanta? Do you can you see Philly ha- having enough in them? And they're going to have been in such a high after today's game. But the danger is you've got two ways of looking at it. They can either carry that momentum into the semis now, or they've used up so much mental energy that they're going to be flat now for this game. Oh, they're carrying the momentum. That's I know those guys well enough. They're carrying the momentum. I don't think they're going to win anyway, but they're carrying the momentum. So, whoever gets through between Atlanta and Philly is going to meet the winner of the other semi-final, obviously, which is going to be Toronto and New York City FC. Now, Toronto, DC United, I I didn't watch this game live because I, I was over on the island watching Pacific FC, but, I mean, this was a game. Toronto took the lead in the 33rd minute. They couldn't kill the game off. It looked like they had done enough. And then third minute of stoppage time, DC... Bang, Rooney Corner, Lucas Rodriguez, back post, into extra time. And then I don't know what happened to, to TFC in that first period of extra time. It, it was like Canada screwing the US over all over again on uh, Toronto. Can soil. we not? Can we not? Sorry. <laughs> I had to get that ticket. And, and you got to remember, too, that Jonathan's from, originally from DC. So this is kind of his oh, secondary said, team. Uh, I, d- double well, I, know, I, don't have, I don't have any allegiance to DC United anymore. Oh, not anymore? Think- okay. I, I, I lived, no, you, after a while, I just, my, my allegiance are, is to players who played 15 years ago in the RFK stadium, which no longer, you know, okay. 
But so, what, what did you make it, of, of Toronto? Because that was an impressive burst. It pains me to, oh, to say they, that. I always thought they were going to win. I fancied uh, DC, but... Uh, I like, fancied them beginning the final, so they were so much higher. <laughs> That's he, the one team that lost. Yeah, Steve's tip was DC to make it to the MLS Cup. I, lose or not getting that win against Cincinnati in that last game now looks so oh, huge for them. Oh, oh. It, it, look, credit to DC for the late equalizer for making that game go an extra half hour, but they were out of gas. And... Because they, they they should have won it in the because uh, the, they had so many oh, yeah, chances yeah. in that in the ninety minutes I mean, to it, get it, up it a couple goals. Definitely should have been over, but it was the, it's the end to Rooney's MLS career. He didn't speak to media after the game. Apparently, he just kind of just left, which was a little bit weird because when he was here, he was like fully chatty to everyone. So I don't know whether I I don't know. I can't. I, it's probably the Vardy thing that you know he doesn't he doesn't oh, want this because he knows he's going to ask those questions, God. right? And 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 and. and Look, if the game was in Washington, maybe it's a different story. But in Toronto, you can be sure that he would have gotten a lot of, you know, non-sequitur questions. Oh, yeah. What do you make, then, of the semi-final matchup with NYCFC? I mean, NYCFC, the the one in the East, we talked about this on an earlier show. They've kind of done it, really, without any flashy players. In the past, they've had the big-name DPs, and they haven't done that well. This year, they've had people that's really played well as a team, people out with the, the team probably would struggle to name, if you showed them all the players, they wouldn't really know who they were. But they've done the job, they've kind of ground out to, to be first in the East, and I can't really see TFC getting past them. But again, like Philly, they're now going into this game such momentum. So, a couple things. I think NYCFC is really good. And I have Dome Torrin as my coach of the year because they were not really good at one point. And by the end of the year, they were a machine. And I went to the NYCFC Atlanta game. That was a couple days before, not decision day, but the penultimate. It was like the midweek before the last, before the next to last Saturday. Because the union were in San Jose and I wasn't going to obviously go to that. And Atlanta was in New York, so I went to that. And New York just exploded and trucked Atlanta. And that was when everybody really woke up and said, okay, this team's real. And they're very good. The wild card in this game, other than that Toronto, I think, has enough talent to give them a game, especially if they can get Pizuelo on the ball. And, by the way, if Altidore's healthy. We don't know what that's going to be like. But if he's playing, you know, that's pretty big. Yeah, that'll be big for them. The wild card in this game is that the game's not a Yankee Stadium. Oh, of course. Yeah, I was forgetting that. The, the game is at City Field. It's still a baseball stadium, but from what I've seen, it's you can get a Yankee Stadium 70 yards. And everybody likes to say it's not 70 yards, but a whole bunch of people have taken tape measures out there who are in the actual objective media and said it's 70 yards. So I will believe that it's 70 yards. I believe City Field's a little wider. Because it's a newer and park, too, I think, that one, right? And it's a pitcher's park. No, they're about the same age. Are they? But it's, more, it's a bigger park. It's just it's, the fences are deeper, all kinds. It's much more of a pitcher's park. The, the outfield at Yankee Stadium, especially in the corners, is pretty shallow. And this is not a baseball show, so I'm not going to talk about my national team <laughs> in the World Series. Yeah. But Congratulations on that, by the way. 
Uh, thank you. I was worried they were going to play the Yankees and have Aaron Judge hit a bunch of home runs off them. Uh, but the Astros are really good, and that's as much as we need to talk about. Uh, no, City Field, I believe, is going to give you a little more space. Which you figure plays to Toronto FC's advantage, but I'd be willing to say it also plays to New York's advantage. Yeah. Because they actually play better on a proper field or a wider field. I think it's going to be a very interesting game. I have no idea what's going to happen. If New York wins, they go back to Yankee Stadium for the Eastern Conference Final. But if Toronto wins, and I don't think it's impossible, the winner of the Philly-Atlanta game will host the Eastern Conference Final. That would certainly be a, a, an interesting one. Who, who's your tip then to get through from the East to the, to the MLS Cup? Is it, is it going to be Atlanta back-to-back? I'm going to tip New York, even though I probably shouldn't. Because they are good enough. And if Atlanta doesn't sort itself out, they're going to walk into Yankee Stadium and get beat. Hmm. Interesting. And then we're going to have the greatest question of all, which is where is the MLS Cup final going to be? Well, we're going to, we're going to come to the West. So before you answer that question, let's just quickly, okay. quickly look at the West. We've got a semi-final coming up in the Western Conference on Wednesday, and it's going to be Seattle RSL. I'm thinking of going down to that just because RSL is the team I've kind of been rooting for in this playoffs. I had a good chat with Nick Romando and Kyle Beckerman when they were here, and it'd be kind of nice if it turns out to be Nick Romando's last game to be at that. Now, Seattle, they made things so difficult for themselves against Dallas. A fantastic game. was watching the game. I was over in Victoria in my hotel room. I'd got a free late checkout so I could watch the first two games before the Pacific FC game. But it was 2-0 to Seattle after midway through the half. I thought, oh, well, that's game over. I, I just didn't bother watching the hit and checked out. Then I saw the final score and I was like, what the hell happened? Dallas deserved full credit. They just never gave up. But some of that Seattle defending was absolutely horrible. But Jordan Morris finally doing this season what folk were expecting him to do, getting a hat-trick and looking really good in the process. I've been a Jordan Morris fan for a long time. And I wrote, I, it's funny, I went back to the, I did like, at the start of the season, I did five questions. And one of them was, will Jordan Morris make people remember what he was like before his ACL injury? Hmm. And I would venture that he did. He had a decent season. He's not playing center forward anymore. He's playing the right wing. And I talked to him. He was in in Washington for the U.S.-Cuba game on a night when the U.S. attack actually did something. And Morris actually looked quite good. Cuba was awful, but Morris had a, a, a pile of assists and a goal. And we talked to him for a while. He was very candid about making the transition from forward to winger. And in fact, how Steve Zaklani, of all people, helped him considerably with that. But boy, did he look good against Dallas. And I'm very happy for him. And a lot of people are very happy for him. Whether you're a Sounders fan or not, and obviously you got the double whammy up where you are, of people disliking both the Sounders and the U.S. men's team. I get that. But certainly for folks down here, Jordan Morris is pretty easy to root for, and it's good to see him doing well. Now, what do you make about the RSL Portland game? That was the evening match. It. That that was oh. a really cracker, like going back and forth. That was like, like that. A, a, your ultimate game of two halves. Yeah. Because RSL were snowstorm, dominant. By the way. And a snowstorm, by the way. Yeah. Yes, yeah, the second half, the rain turned to snow. And 
I mean, RSL dominated that first half. Portland had no shots, and then just RSL didn't put them away. A great, great header from Krylach to, to put them in the lead. One that are you wondering what the what are Portland oh, defenders what was doing? Talking like, about Seattle's market, oh. what was that? <laughs> and and I look, I I have an issue, as I think a few of us do, with when the defenders stand around and wave their hands and try to convince the linesman that the player was offside. Yeah. I, I was worried I that back. he was because he had so much space. I thought, well, he must have been offside. Not the least. Not in the least. Yeah. But I, 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 went, don't... I went back and did the frame by frame and it wasn't even close. Yeah. I, I don't know what Savarese said to his team at halftime because they came out with a fire under them in that second half. And then it just took them a couple of minutes to get back on level terms. And then it was like a complete opposite game. Portland pummeled RSL. Romando had to come up big. Portland missed so many chances that they really should have put away. And it, like, if you were putting money on it at that point, it would have been hard to, to, to bet against Portland. And then it just it felt like almost from nowhere, RSL then just got the winner. I mean, it looked, I thought it was going to go to extra time. Things were getting a little bit, bit chippy as well. But I, it was just it was a great winning goal for them. I I it was a heck of a goal. It was terrific. I had picked Portland before the game just because I thought they had too much firepower. Yeah, were you, were you uh, surprised Valeri was then, left on the bench though as well, well? That's look. I'm not out there. I know some people out there, but I'm three thousand or however many miles away, so it's not my business. I leave it to the reporters out there to report on that. We're going to be talking about that for a long time. Oh, yeah. Especially if Valeri does not resign. Yeah. It's, and it's strange. going to be a problem. Um, and I know that he'd been dealing with a calf injury. I think it was. And Savarese went out and said, well, I wanted to run out the same guys who played against San Jose who did so well. Grant Wall of, of SI. I know we're going to talk about Minnesota in a minute. Yeah. Uh, Grant, Grant Wall of Sports Illustrated had, I think, the tweet of the night tonight at the end of the Minnesota-LA game. He said, you know, maybe I would have started Valeria Darwin-Quintero and just see what happened. Yeah, but that, that, that's the thing, because it's like you're looking at these two teams leaving big-name players, and I know there's been issues behind the scenes with them both, but it's, I mean, surely it's a one-off playoff game. You have to have your best players on the pitch. If that happened here in Vancouver and you did not have your best player on the pitch. I mean, Carl Robinson had a little bit of that in the playoff series with Seattle a couple of years ago, and he was criticised for it in the first game. You have to have them on the pitch. Well, and it's funny because that's now, what, four guys across the board yeah. who didn't start? Yeah, P- uh, Pitty Martinez, Martinez. Valeri, Quintero, and Fabian. Now, Fabian, I get. Because he's not actually a great tactical fit in the system the Union were playing. And they played their cards a little conservatively. They held they held uh, their last sub, and then they got the fourth in extra time. They made two subs in extra time. And there were a couple of arched eyebrows toward the end of regulation wondering why they were waiting yeah. uh, down here. But um, you better be real sure you know what you're doing in a situation like that. Oh, yeah, if it backfires. And the union, got it, the union got it right. Atlanta got lucky. And Portland and Minnesota got it wrong. 
Well, that brings us nicely on to Minnesota. It, it was probably the the least explosive game of the of the whole weekend, but Minnesota are going to look at that back. First of all, I have to oh. say the atmosphere in Minnesota was absolutely electric. That place was bouncing. That was very impressive. And well, you you knew the second the schedule came out because that was the prime time slot on Big ESPN on Sunday night which is the biggest night of the week, you know, television-wise. And all of us down here said right away that game was going in that slot. Had to. Because it was, on paper, the best game of the round. Naturally, it turned out to not be. No. Um, But uh, I I did not get to Allianz Field this year. I would very much like to go someday because it is spectacular from everything I've seen and heard. Yeah, that's on my list uh, of stadiums I'd like to go to. I mean... Minnesota were the far better team. LA scored against the run of play. But before I get to the goals, did you think that was a penalty that Alonso gave away? To me, that looked like a clear shove, and it's not even given. Uh, I missed it. I was oh. on the way home. All right. It, it, for me, he should have had a penalty, and it didn't look like the referee even reviewed it. I guess yeah. they probably do, but it was right after that, though. It seemed to then light a fire under the galaxy. Exactly. Against the run of play, like you said. They, two, two goals in a three-minute spell. Zlatan had a chance in between them as well. Yeah. And it just shows you what LA can do. Sebastian uh, Leget, uh Leget. In the 71st minute. And then Jonathan DeSantis, beautiful curling long range in the 74th. Minnesota pulled one back three minutes from time. Then th- there was controversy in stoppage time because they had a break. Yeah, and he there was a, a, a foul on, I can't remember who the foul was on now. Might be been on Quintero. And then the ball was going to a Minnesota player who, was who had gonna... beaten the offside yeah. trap and would have run in on goal. But Ted Uncle calls it back for the free kick. Baffling decision. He had a couple of weird calls in that mm. game. It, of course, set up, though, the match that MLS executives would have been wanting. The LA well, Derby. look, I don't think Minnesota did itself. What I did see of the game, Minnesota did not do itself any favors. No, they had their chances um, to, to, to win it and to, to put the ball in the back of the net, and they squandered some really good opportunities. And, and, and you know, Angelo Rodriguez, who what, had not scored in 11 games, whatever it was. You you missed that shit. You missed that one. I'm gonna put my hands up and say, "Hey, you know what? They go down the other end and score. That's not my fault. You know, that that's the fault when you miss like that. That's not the fault of the fans or anybody else that LA went down the other end and scored two goals. Yeah, you gotta you gotta finish when you got the chance like that. Well, I mean, LA got minimal chances. They buried them. Got LAFC now. I, I've been talking for the last couple of weeks. I've just got this feeling LAFC are not going to make the MLS Cup. And losing Mark Anthony K possibly yeah, for that game. I, I think mean, that, that could be a big blow. But now the Galaxy it seem is. to have their number. How do you see this playing out on Thursday? This is going to be an absolute cracker. No matter what happens, it's going to be explosive. This is my East Coast bias moment. What I would give for that game to not be at 10.30 p.m. over here. Oh, yeah. And you can't do it, you know, for all the obvious reasons. But goodness gracious. Well, we've got um, one of the games at 4 p.m. our time, so lots of folks are going to be at work here and not see, I yeah, think it's the I, Wednesday I know. game. I, I know, I know. It's, by way of example, a lot of folks over here are waiting for a Hudson River Derby in the playoffs. Yeah. 
or some such that would really, in the eastern half of the country, get everybody going. Yeah. Um, and consider how, I said this on Twitter, not, consider how close we were to having LALFC in Seattle-Portland as the semifinals. Oh, yeah, that would have been the dream Western final for, for yeah. many. Um, look, I, I, KB and out bad for LAFC. It's entirely possible that the Galaxy can win this game. Yeah, I just have a hunch they will. But there's, there's, there's three guys I'm watching, and Zlatan and Vela aren't of them in this case. Uh, Edward Atuesta for LAFC, who's superb. Brian Rodriguez for LAFC, who is really, really good and is only just starting to make his mark. And Christian Pavon for the Galaxy. Yeah, key key, key players Those on, on both play. teams. And the atmosphere is going to be electric, and you know that. Cool. And then, uh, who have you got in the other semi? Do you, do you see Seattle getting into that into the final? I, I think so. I think they're too good in their home. And they're, they've are they got to be fired up. I mean, they're, I'm sure they're tired, but staying home and RSL going up there. And those two teams have played quite some games over the years, by the way. Yeah. So it's no given. Oh, but no, yeah, that, that's Seattle. another reason I'm thinking of going down, because I think it should be a cracker. And, of course, Seattle's got the added boost as well of knowing they could still be hosting the... the Western Conference right. final as well, and and they could host the whole shooting match. Yeah, which would be great because I've never been to an MLS Cup. Seattle and LAFC would host Philly. I don't know what the Atlanta scenario is. I think Atlanta would host. Either you got a computer up in front of you, let me know. Yeah, I don't. But um, from my memory, I think Atlanta would host if they if they do it and LAFC don't. Yeah, Atlanta is uh, second, a uh, third Atlanta in the league second. overall. Yeah, so yes, Seattle but, could okay. host Philly. That would be an interesting one. Right. Yeah, Seattle could host Philly, but Philly would host the Galaxy. Yeah. The prospect of Seattle hosting an MLS Cup final. I mean, now look, if LAFC hosts the MLS Cup final, it's the Supporters Shield winners, so it's kind of natural. Yeah. It's. If Seattle hosts it, that's going to be some show. Yeah, I'll be heading down for that. Although if LAFC hosts it, I'm going to head down for it, I think, as well, because I really, really want to see the atmosphere of that yeah. stadium. And for an MLS Cup, it's just going to be tremendous. I'm inclined to say that LAFC can't lose the Galaxy forever. Yeah. And they're, they're rested. And the Galaxy did not look very impressive today. And, I mean, the Whitecaps beat them, for God's sake. It's, it's That, that defence is a... A bit of a shambles. Yeah, if you actually hit him in the mouth, you can you can get him. Yeah, but you got to hit him. You got to hit him first, and you probably got to hit him second too. And you can't take your um, eye off Slatin either. That's the thing. He's no, a big game player. He didn't shine tonight, but I mean, he's a guy. He'll be motivated. He'll want to to get one over on Vela. Last little bit, and then we'll let you get to sleep. But just one one quick final yeah, yeah. point. It's an interesting thing. Five of the six home teams won in this round of the playoffs, which to me is showing the importance now of regular season positioning. In the past, it's felt like it hasn't mattered. And I think that's one of the best things to come out of these matches. It's shown you how crucial it is now that games do matter now in the regular season. Well, it only took the league 24 years to get there. Yeah. Um, Oh, I think it's right. The single game format certainly helped with that. 
That was the intention when the league did this, and it worked. Now, I'm going to raise one more point to you guys, and this is going to affect me in particular, possibly. If New York City FC hosts the MLS Cup Final, there is a college football game at Yankee Stadium that weekend, which would potentially oh. preclude the MLS Cup Final from being there. Oh, wow. I know plenty of people who would be just fine with that game, not with, with the MLS Cup Final, not being at Yankee Stadium because of a logistical nightmare to broadcast from. Ah. There was an event scheduled for City Field that they might be able to kick out. <laughs> and I think MLS would prefer that because there's only one other place they can go. Red Bull Stadium? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> what about Giants? Maybe Giants Stadium? Then? No, I think there's probably an NFL game that uh, weekend there. No, there's an NFL game. You don't want to go to Giants Stadium anyway. I have heard. I'm not going to say from where, and I'm going to let somebody else. I mean, I will probably chase after this a little bit, but I'm going to see if this percolates up over the next little bit. I know of some people in some high places who might lean on NYCFC to play that game in Red Bull Arena. That would just be so, so MLS. Well, it's the best place in the region to play it. And you could easily say, you know what? This game is going to be in the New York market, and that's where it's going. Yeah, it's definitely going to get However, a TV audience. And, of course, MLS based out of, of New York. Well, and it's going to look. It's going to look a lot better on TV at Red Bull Arena than it is at City Field. Yeah. By a mile. Now, riddle me this. You guys have watched a couple of Red Bulls games this year, I assume. Of course. If the ML, You know how they have the tarps in the upper deck because they can't sell the seats up there. Yeah. They keep trying to claim it's construction, and we all know better. <laughs> What is the bigger embarrassment, NYCFC playing in Red Bull Arena or NYCFC playing in Red Bull Arena and filling the building? I think it's the latter. Robert. I would say it's the latter as well. For the, I'm st- but, the, yep, but I, I, would, I would say that the, if any Red Bull fan would say it's because it's the MLS Cup Final, that's why it's filling up. If Red Bulls were hosting, it, it would fill up as well. It's that's what they a, would claim. It's still a smack in the face it's, for them. If they raise the trophy in there, I, I definitely think it's a smack oh, in the face. yes. Uh-huh. Oh, wow, yeah. Wow. Um, just a thought. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's an absolutely fantastic way to end this section. So thank you so much for joining us, Jonathan. Really appreciate this. I know it's coming up for, for 2 a.m. there out east. You're always welcome in the show. For anyone that's do, not sure where to find you, where can everyone find your stuff online? Uh, usually on, the, uh, on Twitter at the goalkeeper where I'm tweeting too much. And from an old Expos fan who hated the Nationals for a very long time, I wish you good luck in the World Series. It is, thank you. It is the first World Series in my hometown since 1933. And uh, my mother, who grew up in the Washington suburbs, used to go to baseball games in the 50s with her father. She still has a ticket stub from 1958. Wow. And, uh, you know, for those of us who actually live grew up in the city or live there now or whatever, we're actually from the place. Um, the Nationals have really captured the hearts of the town. It's been pretty cool to see. Good. Well, enjoy it. Hopefully we'll catch up soon. And thanks as always, Jonathan. Good night, John. Good night. Take care. We are going to be back with part four. That was an extended uh, chat we had there. I know we didn't take any ad breaks, so we'll make up for that uh, in the next little bit, I'm sure.
Steve's got them all lined up, I can see. But we've got two more parts to go. We said this was going to be a long show tonight. Good job we're starting at 9am. No, 9pm. We might be going to 9am. But we're going to be back after the break with some CPL chat. Hi, I'm Mark Anthony Kay, and you're listening to the AFTN Radio Show. Welcome back to part four of the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. What was that song, Steve? That was Guns Drawn by The Roots, basically because of the showdown that's coming up in CPL. Oh, what an eventful week it has been in the CPL. Let's start off with the action on the pitch. Cavalry FC, they did the double. 3-1 home win over FC Edmonton on Saturday. In front of what was a pretty disappointing crowd. I know it was cold and they've wrapped everything up, but sad to see with a chance to to lift a a trophy there of sorts. But that win gave them the fall season title by one point over Forge FC, adding to their spring season crown. Tommy Pilden had told us he wanted to do the double. He wants to do the treble. So he's got the double in the bag. And it's a remarkable achievement. It's one that we might not see too often over the coming years as... Teams should get stronger and who knows what teams are are maybe going to come into the league and there's going to be more parity possibly. So it's a tremendous achievement, everything that Tommy Pioja and Cavalry FC have done this season. And between the the two seasons, Cavalry boasted an overall CPL record of 19-5-4. 62 points combined over the two seasons. Forge closely followed behind with 56 points. No other team in the league recorded more than 34 points. Dominance by those two teams. And, of course, that dominance leaves, especially by by Cavalry, leaves people saying, why do Cavalry now need to go through a two-legged championship game? They've won the spring. They've won the fall. If Forge were to go and win the championship now, surely that devalues the the whole year. Yeah, but that's what you set up from the beginning of the year. That's you you set up up for the potential. You can't change the rules in the middle just because you you can't. But I I think the rules should have been if a team wins both titles, then that's it. They're champions. Okay, so you you throw throw away all that revenue possibly for those last two games. Yeah. Okay. How much revenue seriously is it going to be? It's on one soccer. You've already got the money for that. Although this, it, they may show it on CBC, I don't know. But th- you're going to have a little bit of revenue? Well, you are going to have some. So you're just throwing away potentially revenue that you were going to make. And you're, the thing is with these these finals or playoffs, you're really not paying the players at all anything because they've already paid their salary for the year. So this is extra money on top of everything else. I just don't like it. And I know that's how it is, but meh. You got the cavalry bias. I do. I want Tommy to win. I like Tommy. And I think they're going to win. They're they're far, but by, by I think they only had one poor result against Forge, 
for the whole season. And I think other than that, they basically dominated the uh, every team in the league. They were close games. Though. Yeah. So the, the regular season wrapped up. Pacific FC wrapped their regular season up with a comfortable 2-0 win over Valor FC in Victoria. In front of a good crowd, 5,100 plus. I've been over to three games this season. They've won all three of them. So if, if Rob, Josh or, or Dean are, are listening to this show, you guys need to fly me over next season to every game and you will be champions. That's the AFCN guarantee. Or just fly me over till you lose. I'll be happy with that. But Pacific wanted to end the season with a bang. And, and they, they did. did before <laughs> they In a few happened. ways. Yeah. The real drama came on Friday. The dismissal of head coach Michael Silberbauer. Now, the Dane had had a tough first season as head coach, winning just seven of his 29 games in charge, taking 28 out of 81 points overall. This was... There's always been... It's a first season of CPL. There's always going to be firsts. Some of these firsts you want. The first goal, the first win, all that. From a head coach... The CPL first you did not want is the first coaching sacking, the first managerial casualty. And unfortunately, that was Michael Silberbauer. This was his first head coaching gig. He had four years as an assistant in Switzerland. It was a massive risk. We talked about it at the time. It was a strange, out-of-the-box kind of appointment. Hindsight's a great thing. Ultimately, it, it was one that didn't pay off. He didn't know the Canadian game or players. It felt at times he was a little bit out of his depth, managing the Canadian mentality of the players, the massive travel, what the game's like here. So overall, I do think this dismissal was the right decision. What do you make of the timing of it, though? And do you it, do you feel it's the right decision? The timing is weird because it's why why do it before the final game? It's odd. Send That's, a message to the fans that you you want a winning. But team. you could send a message after the season too. So that's yeah. not. It's a. But the the main thing is is I also think all the things you said probably I agree with. Also, I think that maybe he wasn't the best at selling the game. Maybe he wasn't yeah. that dynamic personality you well, need. We played that interview I had yeah. with him. But my first question to him was, oh, you're on a good run just now. Do you feel you can go and challenge to, to be in the championship game? And his answer was, mm, no, not really. Yeah. And we said, well, I hope he's not like that with the players. I hope he's a bit more motivating. And Rob Friend, which we're going to be playing the Rob Friend interview that I had, he said that the players felt uninspired. Yeah, and I think that that's... says it all. Yeah, that's basically what it was there. Uh, I think it was probably more of him being out of his depth, like you said. And I thought, honestly, for the players that... Like, first of all, your veterans that you brought into... You had a whole bunch of young guys. And then you brought in about, what, three or four veterans... And I think three of the veterans missed significant time of the yeah. injury. One most of the season. Masao De Jong went down pre-season injured. Haber injured again to, yeah. to end the season. And he, Starro. He's had three injuries. And, and Starro Star- as well. First the, game scores the goal yeah. gets injured. And then I think Starro. Is he Nakajima as well? Yeah. Starro was the, the position probably the one you least could afford because he was the, the main guy in the, in the back line that would have been helped. But I thought... Honestly, for what they went through and what they developed, and if they these guys, it's these young guys like Taron Campbell and all these other guys uh, keep developing, and now you're going to have young veterans like a Ben Fisk who has been around the world and everything, and he could lead his. He was leadership their captain roles. yesterday. He's captained them nine or ten times over the, the course of the season. It was a nice touch. Marcel De Jong came on. Yeah, only his second appearance of the season. 
his first home appearance and Fisky went over and presented him with the armband as he came on. And I've got to say as well, Marcel de Jong was excellent when he came on. Yeah, so I think um, next he, year is something yeah. really to look forward to. Yeah, that was actually something that I, I asked the interim head coach, the assistant head coach, James Merriman, after the game. And we'll just play a little bit of, of James Merriman's audio. That left him in charge. and It was a tough 48 hours for him. He's, he'd been with Michael Silverbauer from the whole start of the season and built this team. So, I mean, it was tough for him. So it was nice for him to go out of a win, but it, it was tough. And here's what he had to say just about all, all those emotions. Um, to the group is that they need to go out and enjoy it today and they need to play for the fans, play for the support. We knew it was going to be a, a busy house. Um, so that's all we focused on. There was talk of getting a reaction out of the players. Did you get the reaction that you wanted? or I think we did at, at the beginning, and then we scored the goal, and to be honest, we kind of took our foot off the gas a little bit, so challenged them to start the second half with a little bit more. We did, um, and then once we went up to 2-0, it was it was nice to just close the game out. Valor asked some questions of us at the end, but we stayed, stayed solid throughout. What inspired uh, David and Alessandro in the back four there? Yeah, we picked up there some injuries, to be honest, um, and we were unsure of what we were going to do until right up until you know two, three hours before kickoff. And David's played there before, Baldy's played there before, Ali. They're all quite versatile, so we went with it. I told them to enjoy it. It's the last game, um, yeah, and rolled the dice a little bit, for sure. How tough have the last forty-eight hours been for you? Yeah, it's been hard. It's it's been a long. A long season for every club, I think. Um, you know, it's 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 been a lot of work behind the scenes, and I was with Michael every day since since the beginning of that. So um, it's been tough for me. But but what we tried to do as a staff and and as a group is just really focus on today and and enjoy today to finish the season, and most importantly, uh, give the fans something back today. And that's what we that's what we tried to do. Direct the energy towards that. What's uh, what's the next immediate step for you? you? Take a couple days to chill out, and then you start uh, doing a post mortem on the season, for lack of a better expression. Yeah, I'd like to just try and enjoy yeah. today. It's like I said, it's been a long season. Yeah. Um, so we, we need to enjoy this moment today, and then we'll, we'll figure things out from there. Are you going to throw your hat in the ring for the for the job? don't know yet. I'm going to try and enjoy today. <laughs> you mentioned the fans here, but how important was it for the locker room to get this win in the last game of the season? 100%. We know we know um, we could have been better. We, we, we expected more from each other. Um, we haven't been good enough. Uh, we looked... I told everybody that, that they need to look themselves in the mirror after what happened yesterday, obviously. Um, so today was just an important way to finish. We, we wanted to finish with our heads held high and be able to walk off the pitch and, and feel good about that, at least today. And then now there's time to reflect and, and you know make decisions in the offseason. So it's a nice way to finish it off. Last question. When you see a performance like that from Marcel today, it kind of shows what you've missed all season, but it shows how important he's going to be to this team next year. Yeah, is it, he, he's been an excellent professional the, the whole season, even though he hasn't, you know, he's played, this is the second match. Um, but you see his experience, you see his composure, he's very calm, um, and the words that he, that he says to the players on the pitch as well, he gives us a very calming presence, so we really look forward um, to having him more involved next year, of course, and I was happy that he got in and, and he did well today, so 
got to play some minutes for the fans. So that was James Merriman there just talking about an, an emotional day for him. It was tough as well for Rob Friend because this was his first sacking as an yeah. owner. And I got a chance to speak to him both on the record. We had a, a chat afterwards as well, just chewing the fat about a, a number of things. And you could tell it it was a really tough decision for him. And he knows it's football. He's been through it. He's seen manager sack. But to then have to do that, you could feel he was kind of battling with was it the right thing. But he did feel it, it was the right thing to do. So really, before before we, we talk about some of the things that like Rob Friend said, again... In the podcast, we'll play the, the chat I had with Rob Friend. It's about eight, nine minute chat, just chatting about the, the firing of Michael Silberbauer and the, the way ahead for, for Pacific FC. So Rob, a very eventful day. Your your first time as an owner having to, to get rid of a, a head coach. What went behind the decision and why now? Yeah, no, I think uh, again this is this is a this is a performance industry, right? And and uh, we expect to win. And you know, we, we sort of saw a downward trend of our performance, players being flat, uh, seemingly uninspired. And us as a you know, as an ownership group, we, we have to look hard and, and what are we doing? Um, what's missing because ultimately I, I think you know we do have the talent out there and I think we can beat any team in this league and, and consistently we weren't so we have to look hard and, and what's the reason and, and uh, you know so I think we wanted a bit of a shake-up today um, you know obviously we want to win tomorrow and and uh, that's why our decision was was today versus after the season um, and, and now it's it's about a new direction it's a fresh direction uh, it, it, you know, Michael's done a phenomenal job to build this squad of 23 players, and I, I think we play some of the most attractive football. We have the youngest team, and we're going to stick to that philosophy. But, but we want a young team that wins championships, and, and we know we can do that. And uh, we got to get the best out of these players, and, and we all got to take ownership on that and, and be better, and uh, and expect better because uh, you know it's been it's been an average performance on the field this season, and. and uh, that's to us. That's unacceptable. So you know, shake it up a little bit and and uh, let's move forward. How, how soon does the search start? Does it start now? Are you in any rush to make a new appointment, or do you want to take your time and get this one right? No, we got to take our time um, because we want to be we want to, we need to be consistent, right? We don't want to be that club that's that's moving through coaches. And this season was always going to be a difficult one. Whoever took the realm, um, you know, you see with Calgary, they, they have consistency, and I think a lot has to do with you know they've been building it for a couple of years. We, we rolled in threw a squad together, uh, you know built a philosophy around young players and, and, and expected to win. And that, that's almost an impossible task. And uh, so it's, it's not entirely fair for Michael, but I think it's ultimately where we're going um, with this club. And, uh, and obviously the, the gaffer is a massive uh, decision uh, and he needs to take that leadership role on and, and embrace this philosophy of this club. And uh, so we're going to take our time because I think there'll be uh, a lot of names thrown forward, but it's got to be absolutely the right decision and we got to take our time with that. Hindsight's obviously a great thing, but when he was appointed, I was surprised just because he's had no experience in Canada. And is, is, do you think that's an important part of the role? I know football's football around the world, but does it need to be someone that understands the game, the travel, 
the fact that you're going to be playing bizarre midweek games yeah. in Halifax, stuff like that. Yeah, certainly it's a challenge come from Europe, right? Because Europe, your 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 longest games maybe 45, you know, to an hour on a train or a bus. The travel, um, the culture of the players, I think, is challenging too. Canadian players. Um, so I think it's certainly challenging coming from abroad. Uh, we've understand, you know, with 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 the travel, with with the game schedule, you know, understanding that uh, certainly helps. Uh, you know, you've seen an MLS, you know, a lot of foreign, really, you know, high resume foreign player uh, coaches uh, haven't done a great job in the MLS for those reasons, right? With the travel, with the culture of the players, the North American player mentality, character is different than, than Europe, and uh, so it, it's challenging. We took the risk. Uh, bring him Michael, you know, people say he was he was inexperienced, but he had four years as an assistant coach at a top level. Uh, we wanted to be a bit different. Um, you know, was that the wrong decision? I think we built a you know a, a damn good squad and we played some very attractive football with a young team. So again, I, I can only commend him, but certainly was challenging coming from Europe and he he admittedly, you know, knows those challenges now. Um, so again when we go you know when we're looking for that new coach, you know that, that certainly plays a factor. Um, you know, and, and what does that look like? You know, we're, we're definitely going to take that into account when we're looking at our next coach. Um, you know, because we are four Canadians by Canadians. Um, but, you know, it's really about these players and who's going to develop these players and, and move them on and, and develop these players into winners as well. So who's that guy? Does he have to come from Canada? Not necessarily, but, it, you know, I'm sure it, it does help. But there's, there's, there's limited uh, names out there. So, Yeah, that's something that's very true. Who makes the decision now in these players, like who stays and who goes, or are they all kind of under contract? Uh, they all have options. Right. Um, some have uh, some of their options have been picked up due to... Um, performance performances and games um, you know I think seven or eight are, are, are for sure coming back next year based on these options being picked up and now we we as a group with with James um, with us and uh, you know we're going to sit down and, and it's hard to make decisions on players without your head coach in place yeah. so that that's why you know we want to be patient with the head coach but you know um, when we're signing players it's you know we'd prefer not to do that with with uh, without a head coach but you know I think it's what what is the philosophy of this club it's always going to be young players ideally local players you know as much as possible we want to be that team for BC but uh, again there's also limited players you know in that selection as well um, you know so you know it, I, I don't believe in, in the coaches always making the players because co coaches come and go and coaches want their own their own team I think it's really what is the identity of this club and building our players around that because if you remove the coach, the next coach comes in and he, he, he follows that philosophy. So that's important. So I'm not a big believer in the coaches building the squads. And then, again, because when he leaves, then this next coach wants his squad and you're always rebuilding because I think it needs to be built around the club's philosophy. So, um, but, yeah, obviously, um, you know, we'll have to, we'll have to you know, see, see who's the candidates and, uh, you know, and build around the foundation of players we have. So I want to ask you two last things just about the, the league in general. Obviously, Cavalry and Forge, they kind of ran away with it a little bit, which killed a lot of the league stone dead the way that it works out. It doesn't seem that there's that big a gap, but what do you need to do now to close that gap? Because they're just going to possibly get stronger and stronger. Yeah, no, so they, they, you know, they've got an advantage. They've got a stronger foundation to build off. Um, so all of us clubs below those two, they've set, they've set the standard. Was there an advantage because, you know, obviously with Forge, a lot of their players through Sigma and, and, and that group, they played together, they knew the players. Uh, and then obviously with Edmonton building the squad for the last couple of years, you saw the advantage they have. And, and, uh, and you know, over, over time, the consistency played out, you know. So 
you've seen inconsistency through all the sort of fresh new clubs uh, with these new squads being put together. Is that an excuse? I don't believe it is. But, um, you know, yeah, they, they, they've set a good standard. And, and again, that's why we need to be better. So, um, you know, we want to build on our young, young foundation of players. And then, uh, and then we need to add, find better players to, to compete. So, um, you know, we, we want to win. That's and, and anything less is unacceptable. Just the very last thing, the, the league in general. I've been surprised at the quality of it. I didn't think it was going to be as good as, yep. it, as it has been. There's a lot of things that need worked out. The travel schedule, possibly the playoffs. When are you guys sitting down? And is there anything in particular that you really would be pushing for to see change for next season? Yeah, no, I think I think all around, you know, we I think we could all look back at the season and breathe and say, okay, what worked, what didn't. Obviously, the the scheduling, the travel is always going to be a challenge. It can be improved certainly. So we're sitting down uh, as owners in the next few weeks, and, and we're going to build on on what that looks like for next season. So again, I think things like obvious things like like the travel and the scheduling, the Wednesday games are tough for for crowds. Um, you know, all, all those are, are uh, things we need to discuss. Um, and overall, I think just being better as a league. And, and you're right, though. I think the, everybody's been surprised at the, at the product, at the quality of, of football. Uh, and I can certainly say it's going to only get be, be better every year because, you know, we're going to see who's, who's good enough and then we're going to add better players. So it's, I think it's been a, found, a foundation that we can all be proud of in this league and, and that we can all build on and, and be better and get better. And as hopefully as, as more teams are added, this league's just going to be, be stronger. And I can, I'm, I'm excited to see this league in three, four or five years where it's really going to be at because it's only going to it's only going to get better. Thanks so much for your time today good. and good luck with Sounds everything. Good. Cheers, been Rob Friend there just talking about the, the decision to let Michael Silverbar go so he, he talked about that the players felt uninspired and that he needed to have a better mentality it felt like in the locker room and a winning mentality they're not going to change course they're not going to to get away from having young players in the team but they want young players that can win a championship and he has to now get the coach that can do that and there's not a lot of these guys around. I mean, the, the big question now is what is next for Pacific and who is next in the hot seat for Pacific? It needs to be a guy that understands the Canadian game. Rob Friend indicated that. And Canadian players as well, who he feels have a slightly different mentality than some of the European players. I've spoken to other head coaches in the CPL and elsewhere that also agree with that. Now, to get a manager with that experience and that knowledge, there's not too many of them kicking around that aren't already in a job. Alan Koch was the obvious guy to, nice to do that. Yeah. He's just taken up the head coaching role in the USL with Colorado Springs switchbacks. If this dismissal had happened a month ago, he would have been the ideal candidate for this. It was yeah. made for him. But there's not any real other names to me, Steve, that jump out as... Automatic candidates. No, I would have. Uh, oh, I can't remember his name now. Now it's totally blanking. The guy who used to be assistant at San Jose. I don't know where he is. Mark Watson. Oh, Mark Watson. Yeah, Mark oh. Watson might be a nice choice here. An and I think he's one. played with either Josh Simpson or, or maybe different times at the Canadian national team. I'm not sure, but that would be a nice one. 
What do they go, Frank Gallup? <laughs> oh, that would go down like a lead. Uh, no, but there's. I think there are some choices here and there, like uh, Robbo. Thought we're joking about that, but but, but he's he, isn't he like trying to do something in uh, in England or well, UK? he was linked with the Costa Rican national team job. So with all respect to the CPL, I think if he took a job in the CPL, although it would be pleasing for him to keep his family in BC, it would be seen as a bit of a come down for yeah. him. I just wanted to throw that in there. Like, let's throw Colin Elms' name in there. Look what he's done with TSS Rovers. For yeah, sure. they haven't got a winning record any season, but he's developing young players. He's won silverware. Yeah, he's, he's won a Van de Fuca plate. Rich Fagan, WFC 2 head coach, knows a lot of these guys. Yeah, and he's coached at USL level. I think, I, I think they are I think wanting... Has he coached at USL? Yeah. Yeah, he did, yeah. They're, they're wanting a guy, I think, that's got experience. I think it could be an overseas appointment okay. unless you can come up with somebody that we've just not thought well, of. So, uh, Colin Miller, if he wants to do it, if they if they want oh. to bring that kind of mentality in. Like a, I, I do think inspirational. you Because if you want inspiration, Colin Miller is a guy that oh, would, yeah. will, will like really... Oh, he'll do inspire. that. Yeah. But I do feel you need to have a new thing. And like James Merriman was asked, will he throw his hat in the ring? And he's not really sure what the future holds in, in store for him just now. Because obviously a new coach comes in and, and wants his own backroom staff. What that will mean for Marius Roft as well as goalkeeping coach. I mean, who knows? I, they're going to keep the youth focused, so that's good. Should they bring in more experienced players though as well? Should they look to maybe bring in some foreign internationals in, in, into the team? Or should they just keep with the, the, the Canadian aspect? Steve. Oh, uh, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I, I think they should go keep the course. Maybe bring in another veteran somewhere. Um, but like I said, I, th- I feel like they have four, four, five veterans now. If they, if they come back and everything, and I think well, that's the thing as well. Marcel De Jong's definitely back. Yeah, and I think uh, Starro would. I think Starro would come back. He's still quite young, though. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about him being but, a veteran. But I'm talking about young veterans, too. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm like, including yeah. Ben Fesk I mean, in there. The first, when we were talking about the White Cats as well, and I said we needed an experienced centre-back, Daniel Henry's always said, people forget I've been playing since I was 18, that I am an experienced centre-back. Yeah. So, I mean, there's stuff like that as well. Hey, maybe Scott Sutter goes over playing coach. Hey, that would be not bad. It's been a great... An enjoyable CPL season all round. There is things that are needing done. There's work needing done to improve aspects of it, like the schedule, trying to bring it to the masses so that more people can actually see these players play. As I said, I've been over to three Pacific FC games. I've loved it. I've really, really enjoyed it. It's my kind of atmosphere. The fan atmosphere yesterday was phenomenal. Top and the Lakeside boys behind the goal, they just sang non-stop for 90 minutes, wave flags, there was smoke and everything. It was just an absolutely tremendous atmosphere. When I've gone over there, it's felt fantastic. The players are loving it. I spoke to Zach Verhoeven, the former UBC and TSS Rovers player, and he said he kind of has to pinch himself sometimes that he's got this opportunity to play pro in his home province. A few years ago... He was like getting players' autographs. Now, yesterday, he was mobbed and players were getting his autograph after the game. That's what I'm saying. Like, this team is set up for a, it's set up for a long run. Like I, th- I think maybe not next year, but the year after, they could yeah. really be... The community love them. Yeah, the top team. They just need to get some more folk out. 8 o'clock Wednesday kickoffs has killed some of their attendances. Yes, for sure. That's ridiculous. They? That needs to get worked out. Flying to Halifax for a Wednesday night game is absolutely ridiculous as well. Things like that should just not happen. I spoke to Rob Gale on Friday. 
I mean, they're right in the middle of the country. They're the only team that had to travel to Halifax three times and Victoria three times. Yeah, These are the things that need to get worked out. Obviously, more teams coming in, they can play about with the schedule a little bit. We've got the championship game coming up. I hope it's Cavalry. I can't see past them. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think Cavalry will take it. But I'm wondering if it's good for CPL if you have a team like Forge upset a team like Cavalry that's dominated all year. No. It might be. <laughs> unbiasedly, it would, I think it unbiasedly, would be really. yeah. Because then you have a rivalry at the top. You just can't have one team dominate everything, honestly. It'd be, I know. In a lot of ways, that does not look, it's not a great look for the CPL if Cavalry do win the treble. Once the season's finished, we're still going to have a lot of CPL stuff coming up. I got a couple of interviews that I did over the weekend. I've, we're going to bring a couple of them on the the radio show and the podcast. Some of them are going to be written things on the site as well. I got a chance to speak to Marcel Dion. We're going to bring you that. David Norman Jr. spoke to him about leaving the Whitecaps and the opportunity to go and play in Miami next year. Spoke to Zach Verhoeven. Rob Gale, the, the Valor head coach, had a fantastic 15-minute chat with Rob, who just was very open and honest about everything. And that we're wanting to get, over the next couple of weeks, chats with all the head coaches, so we're going to bring you that on the show. We'll be kicking things off with Rob Gale as well, once the, the CPL season is done, probably. So, watch out for that, listen out for that. We've got one more part of tonight's show to go. We'll be back with that after this. How's it going, guys? I'm Ben Fisk. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the final part of this week's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. We haven't gone into Monday yet, so it's not quite election day. It does feel like if we kept going, it was going to be election day. And Steve, you had an interesting thing that we could have done for the show tonight, but we thought of it too late that we didn't get a chance of, of tweeting it out. Yeah. Well, my 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 thought was, who would you elect as a prime minister from our MLS coaches that we've mm. had? We'll throw that out on Twitter and for listeners as well. You can you can let us know. Steve's just dying here. Yeah, I don't know. Martin Rennie, I think, would be a good prime minister because he has kind of prime minister speak. He says a lot without really saying anything. Robo's probably too honest. Martin Sanis is probably too honest. So yeah, I don't know. Not got much more to go. You'll be glad to hear. Now, though, it's my favourite part of the show. It's wavelength time. And we're going back to an old favourite of ours, the Swiss band Vanilla Muffins. The song from their 1997 album, The Divilous Swiss. This is Scoring Goals.
scoring goals, goals, goals. It's just soccer, my religion. If you wanted to do a White Cats version of that, it'd be scoring goals, goals, goals. It's what the White Caps can't do. Or if you're doing a Daniel Henry one, you could be scoring own goals. Own goal. <laughs> <laughs> he scored some in the proper end as well. Yeah, it yeah, just yeah. got a bit confusing sometimes for it him. Was, it was a stretch there where he was scoring a lot. It, it seemed like he was scoring own goals all the time. <laughs> That was Vanilla Muffins from the 1997 album The Devil Is Swiss. And I, I played that because it was a weekend for scoring goals. Oh, and was it ever? And I think, like, we didn't get a chance to discuss it, uh, but I want to ask, like, I think it's because it's the only one-game playoff now that that's why people are just going for it. They have to. It seems like it because nobody's scared to give up away goals. The away, I think the away goals is the big thing. that yeah. Where if you, you're not worried about that anymore, you'll just... You'll go for it. I'd, I'd, I'd wondered how Robbo would have approached this kind of thing. Would he still have sat back and tried to hit in the counter? Because the danger with that, and we saw it in so many playoff games and other games, is when you fall behind, it's then hard to get out of that. Yeah. And I thought from the first 10 minutes, New England were going to do that, as we kind of talked about there. But then they didn't. Yeah. And none of the teams did. And it, it was great. And. Yeah. Can these playoffs think, live up to this now? I think actually forward? the only one that did was LA Galaxy. They're the yeah, ones that hunkered that down because the, they had the to. Biggest disappointment. No, because and I think they had to yeah. like, bunker down because they well, they, they were really bad defensively. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. But scoring goals is what it was all about. Now it's time for BC Soccer Web headlines. <laughs> BC Soccer Web Headlines is brought to you in partnership with bcsoccerweb.com, your one-stop site for local, national and international news, stories, articles, features, everything you could want. Updated regularly over the course of the day? Check it out morning at noon and night. bcsoccerweb.com it may be the end of the MLS season for some teams, the end of the CPL season for some teams, but there's still a lot of headlines around the world. What's been catching your eye this week, Steve? Uh, I just have a few articles. We were going to cut some out because of going over a little bit here. Uh, but it was, I think it was, I think it was well worth it, though. With, uh, I've, I've enjoyed tonight's show. Yeah. Um, Surprise guests. First of all is Infantino questions the Koreas over World Cup qualifier media blackout. Oh, they were essentially yeah. uh, North Korea visited, uh, sorry, South Korea visited North Korea for a World Cup qualifier. No fans were allowed to watch the the qualifier named uh, the Ghost Derby, Derby that ended nil-nil. Um, no fans or media were allowed from, you know, the visiting side and no fans were allowed from North Korea to come again. It was basically an empty stadium, which is weird. I mean, I, I've i never seen a derby with no fans at it, and there was apart no from TV, Dallas and Houston. There was no TV coverage either at all. No, and yeah, the North Korea TV wouldn't broadcast the game live, obviously because yeah. they didn't want their team to get beat. I wonder if they edited a goal in for the North Koreans to see that North Korea scored the goal and won the game. There must have been some editing going on that Possibly. side. Yeah. And, and also they were mentioning, some people were mentioning that it doesn't look good for the proposals for the two Koreas to jointly stage the 2023 yeah. World Women's Which World Which is strange in itself, I, I feel. I mean, it's great in one regard. Who knows what the world's political situation is going to be like by then. But yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Uh, Sacramento. Uh, yeah, go to the it Republic. Was, it was a little bit delayed because we actually talked to Garber about this back mm. because we were back then. But it's expected on Monday that they're going to announce them as the 29th team in MLS. Uh, they are going to be going ahead, seems like, with that $250 million 
20,000 seat stadium. So that's going to be impressive if they do that. And I think they're a team similar to, I would say, like an Orlando that had, I know Orlando obviously moved from Austin to Orlando originally, but moving from the, the lower league to MLS, they were like right in there. And I think Sacramento is going to be a similar yeah. thing. I mean, Sacramento should have been in a couple of decisions ago, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. I think before was, Nashville, they yeah, should have been there was in issues there sure. with the stadium and ownership and all that kind of stuff. Delighted for them. I really hope they keep their logo. They probably won't. The, the club crest will probably be changed. I love it. It's it, Their branding, when they came out with that, I thought was one of, the, one of the best going. Really pleased for them. Really pleased for the fans that's had to persevere to get this team for so long. Pleased for a good friend of ours, friend of the show, Naveed Masinchi as well, yeah. who lives down in Sacramento now. So... He worked with the White Cats for a while, UBC Thunderbirds alumni. He's going to have a new MLS team to go and watch. For sure. Work Maybe for. work for, yeah. Um, another uh, one that wasn't in BC Soccer Web headlines, or I might have missed it when I was scanning it, but uh, Inter-Miami is might be having some more issues with their stadium. Um, it's never ended. So I don't, I, again, don't remember the full details. And I just, it just popped in my head now, now, now because we talked about Sacramento, but it was all over Twitter that... It's there was not going to be another council vote to block the. It's not the developing tempor- the current no, site. It, it, no, it's, it's not the temporary stadium that's the issue. It's the new, yeah, the new one. Yeah, the new they, one they want to build. They're wanting to open it up now to new tenders for other options. Yeah, and exactly. It's like, so it's still going to be up in the air. But yeah. one game that might be going on in Miami is a Spanish soccer. Uh, the league is trying to stage another game in Miami. Remember, there was a relevant uh, <sighs> yeah. media or something. They were suing everybody to st- because they were blocked from a staging game. But the Spanish you soccer get a writ. you get a writ. Spanish soccer federation has asked to allow Villarreal a home game against Atletico Madrid on December sixth to be moved to Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. The approval is obviously needed from the domestic federation, and also U.S. Soccer Federation uh, will have to sanction the game to be played on their territory as well. So we'll see if that happens. It kind of seems like I don't know if there's enough time to stage this, but. It's it's also going to be similar things for Villarreal, like their uh, their home fans. They will have some will have options to fly over to Miami and uh, or go to uh, for a free game at uh, Atletico when Villarreal goes travels there. I mean, with all respect to Villarreal and Atletico Madrid, that's not as big a draw as what they had hoped to do with Barcelona or whoever it was that they were going to bring over before. It might be even Espanol, but. I, I, I'm so against this. I just do not like it at all. And then the uh, the last one we have is UEFA um, are asking, uh, there some officials within UEFA are asking to remove Turkey as the Champions League final host <laughs> because of their uh, military action against in Syria. And they're wondering if it's a safe place to play uh, in May. They, I think they... They they hosted the Super Cup last this past summer. Yeah, uh, but I'm not. They're I kind of maybe thinking maybe we should. There nobody's. Well, it's impossible to say right now. It's, it's not, not no, looking yeah. a great situation. It's no no nothing official, but the people are questioning whether they should play it there at this point. Well, I mean, last year they had the final in Azerbaijan, the UEFA uh, Europa League final in Azerbaijan, and that was so problematic for fans to get flights to and hotels and tickets and everything. And they did nothing about this. This is obviously a slightly different situation. The problem is no one's really going to know until maybe just to build up to it because a lot can happen in a short period of time in politics, as as everyone knows. So, I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? Nice country, fanatical fans. I, I've 
spent some time there. Crazy Beautiful regime. People. The regime yeah. is the one that everybody's that, wondering about. But that is it for tonight's show. Did you learn anything from tonight's show, Steve? I learned a couple of things. What did you learn? I, I learned that the MLS Cup might not be at Yankee Stadium if NYCFC get into the final and are due to host it. That shocked me when Jonathan dropped that bombshell. I hadn't heard that at all. That would be amazing. And not so much learn, but when you were talking about Inter-Miami, just the way you said it, I've just got a, a song for them now. Folk might not know the song. It's by a Scottish punk band called The Skids. It's called Into the Valley. Yeah. And the lyrics go, Into the Valley. You can easily do that as Enter Miami. Yeah, I'm sure the works perfectly. Probably, yeah, works perfectly. I'll get, yeah. in, I, get, in get in touch, touch with, with all Norman. the Hispanic fans there. Well, get in touch with David yeah. Norman. I should have mentioned that. If, if I'd only known before I spoke to him on Friday. He is so looking forward, though, to, to going to play there. He said he likes the heat. Oh, that's good. That's a good thing. But that is it for tonight's show. Just before they go, let everyone know where they can find you online, Steve. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. And of course, Zachary, you can find him at Zachary AM. And of course, he is a part of the movement Curver Collective. You can find them on Twitter and Instagram at Curver Collective. I'm Michael McCall. Find me on Twitter at AFT in Canada, on Instagram at AFT in Soccer. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Got a lot of stuff coming up this coming week. Some Whitecaps-related stuff, some Canada Under-17 stuff. We'll have the podcast up, everything like that as well. Thank you for listening to us. Hope you've enjoyed it. It's a bit of a longer show this week. I think it's been a fantastic show. Sums up what was a fantastic weekend. We'll be back next week with, hopefully, another fantastic week to talk about. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care and more on football. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.